and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Frankenstein Underground. And I'm Mark Tweedow. Hey, it's oh! Mark Tweedow! Yeah, Mark Tweedow's back! It's Mark Tweedow. What's up? Apologies in advance. The boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. That's right. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us again, Mark. It's so great to hear your voice. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be back. I really had to, to tune into this one. Awesome. I can't wait to dig into this story with you. And I doubt it's your first episode, but we're an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics. And we're back after a little break. We had our outtakes episode last week. I hope everybody enjoyed that. I think you enjoyed that, right, Mark? Yeah, I did. I had a lot to say about that one when, you, when I was listening to it. <laughs> oh, my God. That episode was hilarious. That was amazing. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> that was fun. It was fun to put together. And every week we interact with our awesome listeners. And now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. <laughs> Hi, we're, we're a group of just nerds. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a thing. We're going to talk about the thing that we read. And then you're going to listen to us talk about the thing that we read. And then you're going to say, I got something to say about that. You're going to send us an email. That's hey, damn guys. <laughs> you get on social medias. You talk, to, talk at us on that. And then we're going to talk about what you talked about when you were talking about us talking about the book and... That makes it a book club, and that's friendship. Back to you, John. Oh, awesome. Yes, it is all about the friendship. Oh, and then John's going to talk about what you talked about, <laughs> and that's what he's about to do right now. Yeah, <laughs> and I want to thank everybody who contributed to our raffle. Um, I don't have the final numbers yet, but today is the last day that we're recording this, and so by the time you listen to this, um, the raffle will be over. The winners will already be announced, and so make sure you're following us on Instagram. I'll do like a little video on there and I'll also be messaging all the winners. So thank you everyone who supported our raffle for rain. We'll be doing another fundraiser and giveaway, but I think we'll let it wait a little while, you know, so people can reaccumulate their funds and all that kind of stuff. Give you oh, a little yeah, bit of well, a buffer. And holidays are coming up too. Yeah. And, and everyone's been so, so generous and uh, we've been asking you to give and give these awesome causes. And so, you know, you really have, and that's amazing. You know, all your contributions are, are, are very appreciated. We're going to, you know, kind of give it a break because, of course, you know, we're all going through something right now. Everyone's going through their own thing. So we're going to kind of tend to ourselves for a bit. And that's fine because then that leaves us free in the future to uh, do more, yeah. uh, you know, cherries and stuff. I just want to say thank you to everybody who contributed. And thank you, Lawrence Campbell, for donating and all, Book the, club member. Um, yeah. all the other guys who contributed to the raffle and everything. And, and congratulations to all the winners, whoever you may be. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. And if you've been enjoying the show, you know, everything that we do on the show is for free. And so please leave us a review, shout us out on social media, share our posts, retweet us, all that kind of stuff. It helps bring more people into the book club. All right. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. You read a story. We talk about it. You hate them guys us. It's a book club. Get out. We had a Hey You Damn Guys from Briny. I don't know if you remember, we talked about Briny. He was the one who first called it the Hey You Damn Guys. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. we talked about him. Briny, yeah. yeah, we talked about him two weeks ago. Oh, wow. And I was about to reach out to him, and he reached out to me. Good old Briny. Yeah. He said, Syzygy. Yeah. Someone forgot the word serendipity, so they put an S at the start and a Y at the end and filled in the middle with some nonsense letters to make a similar enough concept. I have to admit 
that I've been a wee bit absent. My book club membership card is a little dog-eared and faded. <laughs> Poked in the corner of my wallet where the loyalty cards with a single stamp live. Aww. Imagine then my surprise on deciding to renew said membership that the first episode I catch up on is Frankenstein Underground and the first order of business is the now long-running Hey You Damn Guys segment as me being shouted out. Synchronicity. That's crazy, oh, right? That's awesome. Wow. He said, that's def- amazing. He said, definitely a minor alignment of some of the lesser known celestial whatevers. <laughs> Congratulations on the two years. It's been a funny old stretch of time, funny in the cosmic dread sense rather than the humor sense. So I think everyone appreciates the damn work that you guys are doing. Aww. And now that there is time enough at last, I'm excited to consume literally days of content in an unhealthily short period. With all the horrors of the barely mitigated global catastrophe, Mm. there's at least some comfort in knowing that you are still fighting the fight, punching Nazis, reading Hellboy comics, and talking with your friends. Briny. That was a fantastic. (laughs) Hey, damn guys. Yeah. One of the best. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was so cool. I was so excited to hear from him. So thank you so much. And thank you for bringing on this tradition that yeah, we have every that single That one week. goes in the Hall of oh. Fame. That's a good Cheers. one. Thank you. It doesn't feel like we've been doing this for two years, it but doesn't. also 2018 feels like it was like 30 years ago. It sure does. <laughs> At the same time, which is weird. Yeah, that's very odd. Yeah. Agree, though. Ugh. We had some listener feedback on Frankenstein Underground Part 1. That was our episode that we had two weeks ago. Hayden Orr said... Hayden Orr. Book Club member. Yeah. He said, yes, this is my top three favorite Mignolaverse series, and Frankenstein's monster is the absolute favorite monster. Both the novel's eight-foot-tall goth poetry major version and the brutish flat-top movie versions. I grew up watching Young Frankenstein, Albert and Costello meet Frankenstein in the old Universal movies from a very young age. One of my first stuffed animals was a Frankenstein that I carried around so much that it literally fell apart, <laughs> and my first tattoo is of Boris Karloff's version of the monster. Oh, wow. I guess you could say I'm a little obsessed. When Mignola revealed that he was working on a series based on the monster, I was ecstatic. And I even made a post in the Facebook group a couple years back with my theory about the monster that Mike himself commented on. I'll post that on the next part of this series just so I don't spoil anything for anyone who may have not already read the book. Great episode. Can't wait for the next one. Awesome. Hayden, I do have a question. Uh, what did you think of the Robert De Niro version of Frankenstein? Oh yeah, I'd love to hear his his uh, his take on that. You know, um, I was telling Danielle, there's this, uh, there is still a video store near my work. It's like this little shabby video store run by these guys and all the dvds are a dollar awesome and i went in oh, there shit. i went in there today and they had the movie uh, mary shelley's frankenstein <laughs> with robert de niro so i bought it yeah. i haven't watched it yet i'm gonna watch it this weekend but i did buy the dvd for a dollar yeah, i so had to get it yeah out. okay well brace yourself for a lot of dutch angles okay okay so, <laughs> so so this movie was you know it stars kenneth Bron- bronoff is is frankenstein and uh, he directed the movie and i saw it at a midnight movie back in the 90s 90s, oh, wow. the only time I ever saw it. So, John, I would like to know your opinion. Yeah, okay, no, yeah. I'm excited. We'll I'm excited to check it out. Table about that. It's a book club, but we'll also talk about. We'll talk about we'll the, talk movie. About the we'll movie. We'll check in back next week yeah. on that. Yeah. So, I guess yeah, as a as a Frankenstein fan and as a Mike Mignola fan, Mike Mignola says he's working on some Frankenstein shit. You yeah. got to be pumped about that. Exactly. That's, that's got to be. That's a good day for you. That's cool. Drew Campbell said. Hey, Drew Campbell. 
book club member. He's a book club member. He said, you guys should read the original Frankenstein novel. The monster being a dumb brute yes. is totally based on the 1931 Boris Karloff portrayal and the subsequent films. In the novel, he's highly intelligent and eloquent. As Jerry said, Mignola is definitely using some aspects of the film portrayals, though, like the neck bolts. As far as I know, yeah. the, the nipple bolts are all Mignola. <laughs> <laughs> We love some uh, creative license, yeah. don't we? Yeah. It's such an interesting soup. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to read the book back in when I was in my 20s, right. but I gave up. So maybe I should try again. Sure. Hey. I have such a weird relationship to that book because, like, I've technically read all of it, but I've never actually sat down and read it cover to cover because the first time I read it, I had to write about it in some form and like there was a deadline looming and I didn't have time to read the whole book. So I did a Wikipedia article and then a few key sections and then other times I've had to write about it. So I have actually read all of it. I've just never read it in order. Right. That's kind of like how you may have listened to all the songs on an album, but you've never sat down and actually listened to the album the entire way through. <laughs> it's a different experience. Yeah. It's a different experience. And I, I'm a fan of doing that. I know. That, I keep so. meaning to do it. Yeah. I keep meaning to do it. But instead, um, I'm always like, but there's so many other things I haven't sure, right. read. That- yeah, I'm thinking about I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I did read the Wikipedia synopsis as well in preparation for this episode because there were some elements that I wanted to talk about. Um, but I'm, I, but I am thinking about doing the audiobook okay. now that I read the Wikipedia version because I was like, I kind of want to read this. You know, I kind, I kind of just of, never well, got yeah. around <laughs> to it. I always meant to, and I just never There's... got around to it. I like how we're an entire fucking book club, <laughs> and a single one of us has <laughs> read this goddamn book. Honestly, I feel like I could, get, um, I could get through it easier if I listened to it as an audiobook. To be honest with you, yeah, that's There's cool. an that's audiobook valid. version with Dan Stevens narrating. Nice. Um, so yeah, if you can find that version, get it because he's pretty awesome. Oh, great. I'm going to check that out. I am a bigger fan of uh, reading stuff than listening to it, but I, I do think that that's completely valid if you'd rather listen to a thing than read it. I mean, it's the same yeah. shit. You're still... And, you know, there are uh, some actors or voice actors that I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to that just because it's probably awesome and, uh, and it ends up being a very rewarding oh, experience. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's super cool. There was a book... Well, no, uh, there, yeah. there was a Stephen King book that I read when I was a teenager and then later I came back and listened to the audiobook and it was so awesome because the voice actor was like it was Bronson Pinchot. Oh wow. And he did such an awesome yeah. job of doing the book that I really enjoyed it a lot more. And it was you know, I had already read it before, so it was a different experience kind of listening to it. Yeah, yeah. so I do like that. Hmm. Eyes of the Dragon? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I listened to that audiobook too and I loved that book when I was a kid. Like I'm I'm sure uh, we all I'm sure we all have our favorite, you know, I'm sure that there we all have like a list of people that we would listen to them read the fucking phone book. I, I can appreciate yeah. that. Um, I, I'm I'm curious, like uh, when when you read, uh, what voice do you hear in your head as the narrator generally? It really depends for yeah. me, but I do I do pick a voice. So uh, you are right that I I mean I do that. What about I, you, John? I, I think it depends yeah. if it's a previously established character, like when we were reading. The Hellboy um, book, you know, when we were reading the the stories from Assortment of Horrors, I did kind of hear that Ron Perlman type of voice. But, like, if it's not pre-established character, then it's probably just my own voice, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. Do you find that it takes shape gradually as the book goes on? I don't know. I don't know. That's something I I don't know that I ever consciously really think about that. I have to be more mindful of that. I'm a super visual 
yeah. person too. So like uh, books will gradually take shape like the visual of it will kind of start off kind of foggy yeah and then gradually get more and more okay. detailed and rich and and all this stuff but it's it's one of those things where that's also like the the narration of the book too i gotta like find my footing in the book which is why i'm always impressed when an author can establish that right away and make me feel as though i've been reading this book for a thousand fucking years and it's like i just want more you know so that's always really impressive when you come across me like that but like um i do have a stable of favorite voices for sure to to pick from so that's interesting mm. that you say that is that true for you as well do you do that well uh when i was a teenager um i a voice kind of settled in my head as kind of my generic reading voice which okay. is emma thompson's voice okay oh. and um but then you know like it changes you know like if um it's a first person book or if there's a distinct character to the the book but emma thompson is the generic one so like nice. if i ever find an audiobook by emma thompson i put on like this is the most surreal experience. awesome <laughs> that's great <laughs> I'm I'm actually more like you, John. I mean, I, except like you know, like even if it's an established character, I still don't know if I actually always hear their voice in my head. If I'm reading a Batman thing, and Kevin Conroy probably will oh, eventually yeah. come there, for sure. But uh, yeah. usually, a lot of times it won't. It's just my own kind of my own personal voice. Yeah. Right. Also, I, a lot of times when I see like a famous people are doing voices in an animated thing. It throws me out of the animated thing. Oh, really? All sudden, because all of a sudden it's like, okay, that, that's not the character. That's Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I yeah. get so you know? psyched because, I don't know, I guess my experience is different because I always find that they're doing their best to really, you know, fucking go okay. ham on it. And I'm always like, hell yeah, this is great. Okay, so. So, so there's a difference between like voice actors like, you know, like Billy West sure. and, um, you know, Frank Welker. Oh, yeah. The Simpson characters, but as opposed to celebrities doing voices. That's the problem I have with Kung Fu Panda when I first watched it. For the first half hour, I couldn't settle into the film because all I could hear was the celebrities, not the characters. Mm. I've never seen that movie, so I do not know. I want to see that. I've yeah. never, I've never it's watched it. It's actually really That's... good. Um, and again, it's another one that I love because color theory. <laughs> yeah, right on. No, I've never watched That's... it, but okay. I had, a, I had a similar problem trying to watch uh, Princess Mononoke for the first time mm. because they cast a bunch of... Uh, american white guys to do japanese characters it was so wrong and it is just i know like, that you know, there's just like one character and i'm all like wait are you talking about like not... dubs i've never see i don't yeah. watch dubs i watch subs so i don't have that problem yeah Princess <laughs> Mononoke, uh, well, it, it was just hard to get it in dubbed in english no i'm teasing in... i'm teasing yeah, yeah i, no, I know what you mean was... like late 90s i had the same problem <laughs> you know for a while you could only get the dubbed version uh, but I guess I just it get super the, excited it me out of the story right on I mean I see I have that's so funny because I, I tend to have like the opposite it just kind of gets me more into it I get really excited about it so that's interesting that's that's kind of cool awesome yeah that was a fun that was a fun side sorry there. <laughs> Jerry Turnbull said Jerry Turnbull book club member he's a book club member he said uh, member. Frankenstein's creature in Shelley's book is very eloquent and talkative uh... In fact, he never stops talking. Jerry, I think you meant Frankenstein. <laughs> Sorry, I, it's a mistake a lot of people make. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and we also heard from Jan Niklas. Hey, Jan Niklas. All right. Oh, my God. Book club member. Book club member. Yeah. Hey, Jan. He said, oh, Danielle doesn't like Frankenstein so far. Me sad. It's not that I don't like it. It's uh, I feel bad. Actually, I feel bad. I feel bad because. I did like it, as I recall. No, yeah, I do like it. I do like it. I like it 
But I like it on a level that I think is different from y'all, which I feel like is okay. Okay. I am a big fan of like <laughs> big, bold, goofy ass adventures of like, this throw Frankenstein in there. It'll be great. Have some dinosaurs. Let's fucking do it. I'm all about it. I don't know if I would evaluate it on the same level that I would evaluate the island. Okay, well, let, we'll, we'll come back to that. So far. Let, let, I have not read the that. rest of it. I've only read the first two issues. Maybe I should have read the whole thing all at once. I did not do that. So anyway. Yeah. There you go. He says that he'll hold back on his deep commentary until we're finished. Right, so right. hopefully we'll hear from him again. He said, although I do have to comment on the nipples, <laughs> some people are into that, Danielle. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. It's, it's totally fine. And I, I think it's very... Uh, I found it a humorous stroke of creativity also i am looking forward i'm very much looking forward to hearing what jan nicholas has to say it's always good to hear from you he said also i think of the theme song of sonic underground when i read this right or at least i think of a frankenstein monster in a londoner underground (laughs) with cognitive vampires and a big bad stiffy lipped witches oh awesome yeah, so I love hearing from Jan Niklas. Thank yeah. you for chiming in, man. We heard from Taylor Dodderman. Taylor Dodderman. Book club member. Yeah. He's a book club member. <laughs> he says, I really love the Frankenstein Underground series. Aside from The Visitor and Sledgehammer, it's my favorite Mignola spinoff mini. I think one of my favorite aspects of the story is the way it highlights such an extremely tortured and somber character against such a fantastical backdrop. It presents a really unique dichotomy. Could you imagine the kind of pain you'd have to carry to fall into the earth and see dinosaurs and giant monsters and immediately believe it was hell? The story also delves into Frankenstein monster's psyche. How could someone who has been inflicted with so much pain and suffering consider himself so guilty? Frankenstein has been told from his moment of creation that he's an abomination, treated like he's the scum of the earth for over 140 years and pushed around by all manner of people, but he believes it's his punishment for being alive. He's essentially a walking, talking embodiment of Catholic guilt. It may just be me, but that's how this personification seems to resonate. Oh, shit. Yeah. Thank you for that comment. That is... That's pretty much what I was going to say oh, at some man. point. Oh, man. Could you yes, guys like, just you. hear the fucking gears cranking? Yeah, you had a light bulb moment oh, right now, right? Oh, wow. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So you know how um, there was that moment uh, in issue two where he was hearing this other voice judging him, uh, and you were kind of debating what that voice was at the time? Yeah. My take on it is basically it's the voices he's heard for 140 years Aww. or whatever, basically just, you know, like he's – basically taken all those voices and internalized them and now feeding them back to himself yeah oh that makes perfect sense yeah i love that super embarrassed at how hard that went over my head but at the same time i don't suffer from that right outlook on life so that's it's interesting to me because i don't have that fucking issue i don't have any of that kind of guilt going on so but a lot i know a lot of people are struggling with that kind of shit on yeah. their journey, and so that's interesting. Oh God, I feel like a stupid. Well, idiot. and there was that. Uh, there was the <laughs> oh, Virgin God. Mary and the Sacred no, Heart no, because, imagery yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Actually, this whole topic that we're discussing is uh, the reason for why I put the split where I did was because I felt like oh, okay. the first two issues set up this particular concept, and then the third, uh, like the other remaining three flip it and explore the other side of it okay but we'll get to that yeah excellent ryan yule said hey it's ryan yule book club member yeah i got a shout out ryan yule he had a baby today oh congratulations 
Yeah, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, Ryan awesome. and his lovely wife, Laura, they had their baby today, London Yule. Aww. Yeah, book club baby? Book club baby. Question mark. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm such a nerd. All I could think about is, does this baby even realize the original art collection that she potentially has access to. Oh, my God. Wow, imagine being that kid, eh? You're a very Just cultured like, baby. So much awesomeness so all around much. you. Yeah, so congratulations to Ryan and Laura. Yeah. What a beautiful couple, and congratulations to them. He said that he has the Emerald City Comic Con variant of Frankenstein Underground Number 1, and it's signed by Mike Mignola and Dave Stewart. Oh, wow. He got it signed by them in Seattle That's in nice. 2015. So, yeah, that was awesome. Oh. Nice. I really love that cover, bathed in all the emeralds. Yeah, that's a beautiful cover. I'll post. I actually have that cover too, and I'll, I'll post a picture of that for our um, for our teaser image this week. We also heard from Ross Radke. Hey, it's Ross Radke. Ross Radke book club member. Yeah, it's an all star. It, <laughs> it's an all star book club members. He says, "I'm just repeating what others have said, but y'all haven't read the original Frankenstein." Listen, I know. Okay, we meant to get around to it. We just didn't. We collectively never did. Apparently. <laughs> wait, mo- wait, wait! I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I fell asleep. He said the monster is really chatty. His emo monologuing would put most comic book supervillains to shame. Okay. In the comic, they sort of tried to bridge the gap between the original and the classic film depiction of the monster. It's been a while since I read it, but in the novel, it's not clear that the monster was sewn together with bits of cadavers, but rather made from scratch, like uh, a traditional homunculus, oh. and given some secret element that brings it to life. Wait, that's... Okay. Another interesting thing to note is that the original novel's subtitle is Modern Prometheus, which we've heard before <laughs> mm-hmm. in the other Mignolaverse titles. So, 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 so Mike Mignola did a more faithful adaptation of this. My whole outlook on the Frankenstein shit is all from this... They made. They were like, oh, we're going to get rid of all this nuance and we're just going to be like, just sew a bunch of corpses together and shoot it full of fucking lightning and then have them be like, Ugh. Yeah. It's completely fucking so, different. Um, and so Mike Mignola's interpretation is actually way more faithful. So like Roger is like, we could say that Roger's like a more faithful fucking Frankenstein. In the novel, Frankenstein's the most eloquent character. Like he outspeeches everyone. There's like the entire sections where it's like two pages of him monologuing. You know, uh, um, and he's like this character that reads a lot of books, and I'm and and um, he's really into like it's not just that he uh, like that Doctor Frankenstein made a man; it was that he made a better man. He made something that was smarter and stronger, and you know, that was what Frankenstein was. But he was also horrific to look at. You know? Sure, right. but I my yeah, I just am sort of mad at myself that i've allowed pop culture to (laughs) melt my brain so thoroughly as to not even know any of this it's incredible ross said to answer danielle's question about what's the point there's a lot more than what might be immediately apparent just like the monster no i'm learning this i'm learning a very valuable fucking lesson right now (laughs) he said that initially he felt sort of the same way but i love ben stenbeck's artwork so much to the point where I didn't even care if the story made much sense. Yeah, thanks for chiming in on that, Ross. I'm happy to eat all of my words because it's 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 revealing something exciting to me, which is that I can always go back and re-examine something and look at it in a new way and learn new things about it, and that's exciting. Yeah, and awesome to me. So that's great. 
Gary Dowell on Twitter said... Gary Dowell. Book club member. He's a book club member. He also said Frankenstein's creation is really eloquent in the novel, which he highly recommends. He said it holds up even after 200 years. I was going to say, it's like one of the great um, horror stories, but also it's the first science fiction book. Ah, interesting. He also said, if you like that take on the creature, I highly recommend... Rory Kinnear's performance in all three seasons of Penny Dreadful. Okay. Have you seen that? I have not have seen any yes, else seen that? thing that we are going to have to talk oh, about. No. <laughs> I haven't watched it. I don't, I don't know. It's on it's, my list. It sounds incredibly <laughs> British. So. A.T. Johnston yeah. also chimed in. Hey, it's an A.T. Johnston. He's a book club member. Yeah. Um, he was pointing out to me, you know, um, there's a very popular Frankenstein comic by the late, great Bernie Wrightson. Really? Yeah. And he said oh, wow. that there is a panel, um, there's a panel in issue one where it says 1812 and it's, you know, there's those beautiful flashbacks by Dave Stewart and there's one panel that looks almost exactly like a Bernie Wrightson panel from yeah. his Frankenstein comic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was saying that like homage. maybe Mignola gave him a conscious echo of Bernie Wrightson. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had to He's I'll a post huge that. Bernie Wrightson fan. Yeah. I'll post that on our um, social media because he showed me a, a, the, the panel and I was like, oh, yeah, it does kind of wow. look like the panel that we saw in the Ben Stenbeck version. He does a lot of homage uh, stuffed for his favorite artist, which I always find really, uh, really rewarding because then I go, like, wait a minute, I've seen that somewhere. Yeah. Oh, he's a Bernie Ryzen fan. Cool. And so yeah. it gets you into this. I'm actually a huge fan of, you know, all Bernie Ryzen's like werewolf shit and yeah. all of that. So that's awesome. In relation to that title, if you're reading the trade, it won't say um, 1812. It'll say 1792. Oh. Oh, okay. Wow. True facts. Yeah. Um, that was one of those things where... Um, uh, I was reading the book, uh, and at the same time, uh, this story was coming out, and I realized the dates didn't make sense. So I went through the book and made a uh, like a full timeline of the book, and then sent it in, and they corrected it for the trade. Wow! Wow! Look at you, Mark. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. What a flex! Wow. <laughs> so dope. This guy helps us do the thing. I know. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, it's it's so great to have you on the show, Mark. He's the best there is at what he does, and what he does. Not a lot of people. <laughs> well, it, it had to fit in with Captain Walton's letters. Yeah. Nice, nice. Little sidetrack here. We did actually meet the late great Bernie Wrightson back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I have some that really good. Um, I got some really oh, awesome. cool books autographed by him, and I got his sketchbooks. Yeah. And he signed the sketchbook. So if you follow me on Book Club Member Comics on Instagram, I'll post some of the pages from the sketchbooks because they are they are incredible. I get chills. He was such a nice guy. I get chills thinking about that because he was just so super chill and so nice and so cool. He was very and kind. Yeah. I was just like, this is Bernie fucking reason. When I posted the comparison of Frankenstein in his living dead state and Roger the Homunculus in his kind of dead state when they found him, Hayden Orr said... Poor Roger can't wear pants and Frankenstein can't wear a shirt. Mignola loves making clothing options for his characters more complicated. <laughs> oh, man. I thought that was good. That's great. Well, I mean, you know, like, can you imagine Frankenstein wearing a shirt, though? Everyone would be like, dude, are you, like, super cold? <laughs> oh, man. When I posted about the monsters and the dinosaur work, Brian Levy said... Brian Levy. Book club member. Yeah. He said, I love... How some of the dinosaurs have eyes all over, just like the Ogdrahams. Such good continuity. And when I posted the covers, Braxton Harrington said... Braxton Harrington. Book club member. <laughs> yeah, book club member. 
He said, Stuart and Mignola, they get each other so much. It's true. What a marriage. It's true. Yeah, I love that. And uh, we're going to get some great Dave Stewart work in this book. It's like a drummer and a guitar player that have been playing together in the same band for like 20 years. I feel like before we dive into talking about the comic, we have to do a, a bit of a talk about the book. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'd, lo- okay. I'd love to. I'd love to get your take on that, Mark. Hey, are you gonna say that? Uh, okay. Frankenstein was super fucking eloquent, and also he was Frankenstein's monster, actually, and he was very eloquent. <laughs> and uh, well, you got to read the book. I know. I get it. No, no. I used to say Frankenstein's monster uh, all the time, and then we won't go too much into this because the book is you know, no longer part of the canon and all this sort of stuff. But Wait, Frankenstein what? Undone, yeah. Oh, no, the, no, Frankenstein Undone, this is a different book that okay. was coming out, written by He Who Shall Not Be Named. Um, oh. And, yeah, but yeah. anyway, there was at least one little gem in that I wish was still a part of the canon, which sure. was basically um, Frankenstein doesn't think of himself as human. And he's talking to someone and that person, uh, you know, like, is trying to encourage him to to think of himself as human and part of that is giving himself a name and he's still wrestling with the the fact that dr frankenstein has died and all the things that he did to him and part of him giving himself a name is taking on um the burden of of what he did to that man and also accepting that he was his father and fathers give their names to their children so he says i am frankenstein his name is Frankenstein, oh, not Frankenstein's monster. Oh, man. I love that. Fuck, yeah. That, that's great. And so, like, to me, I can't think of the character as Frankenstein's monster anymore. To me, he's just Frankenstein. Yeah, nice. Well, I, I noticed, um, I, actually I, went, it... I actually went back to some of your uh, Mignola Versity articles, Mark, to, as part of my research for this episode. And in a lot of your articles, you call him Frank, which I thought was very charming and cute. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I found Frankenstein's monster so dehumanizing. Well, yeah. I always thought of it like, you know, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's Frankenstein. He's like, no, it's Frankenstein. And then eventually, when I got older, everybody was like, no, no, it's actually Frankenstein's monster. And then I came to the realization, you know, well, like, he built this guy. It's his kid something. Hmm. So it's his name. His name is Frankenstein. There so you go. Shut yeah. up, you, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, Mr. Hipster dude. It, it became, it got to the point where I was just doing it on purpose. Well, there's and then a... it's, I just was like, you know, it's a Frankenstein. Go fuck yourselves. Have you ever seen, um, there's a popular meme that was going around where somebody actually wrote in the book like yeah, at the yeah, end yeah, of it, yeah. and they put, and as Frankenstein sailed away, he said, you can just call me Frankenstein. It's fine. Or something like that. I don't know. I'm it's okay a, with it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I subscribe to that. One thing that kept on coming back up last week was uh, you were talking about, like, um, how uh, Frank, it's, it felt like Mike Mignola and Ben Stenbeck were like, oh, Frankenstein's monster, monster. Let's just have some fun adventures with this guy and do you know, crazy stuff with him. And right. in a way, that's kind of where it began because that's what sort of happened with uh, the Hellboy in Mexico story, um, House of the Living Dead. Like, it wasn't Frankenstein's monster. It was, you know, just sure. a Frankenstein's monster-like creature. And then as he was writing the story, it became Frankenstein's well, well, monster. Frankenstein and then he kind of couldn't escape from that. And so, like, at that particular point in time, Mignola's favorite um frankenstein was the karloff frankenstein and it was very much based on you know the karloff frankenstein i mean the whole house of the living dead thing is kind of an homage to the universal monsters era of monsters in between then and frankenstein underground though 
Mike Mignola uh, still wanted to do more with the Frankenstein uh, monster, and he also saw Penny Dreadful. And Penny Dreadful became his favourite version of the monster. So uh, in that, the character is quite eloquent. It's extremely faithful to the book in terms of the personality of uh, Frankenstein. And so, yeah, yeah, like what we're seeing in this book, I kind of love the way there's this kind of weird marriage of two different influences. So, you know, like the the design visually is very much one and, uh, and, you know, like the sadness of the monster is still part of the universal monster take on that character. But um, you can kind of see how he transitions from one to the other. The idea being that, like, back when he was first created, he would have been very eloquent. And as he's been beaten down over the years, he's basically been beaten into silence. And so he's become the silent creature that we know uh, in in the 19th, uh, sorry, in the 20th century. Okay. So, yeah. And then there's the other aspect we have to talk about, which is, so... The book is not just an inspiration for this comic, but it actually exists in the world of this comic. Mary Shelley existed, and in 1818 she wrote a book called Frankenstein, and that is canonically a part of the world. We also know that the the Karloff films existed as a part of this world because Hellboy's referenced them. Um, So basically what we've got is this weird kind of version now where uh, Mignola has, in a way, canonized every single version of Frankenstein. It's awesome. Like, all the stories of Frankenstein in pop culture are now referencing a known historical event. And they're referencing maybe bits of it. Some are much looser with it than others. Like, Mary Shelley's was probably quite a tight version because her version, when you read the book, it's all written from, um, like, these uh, letters by Captain Robert Walton. And he is basically talking to a dying Dr. Frankenstein. So... There's varying degrees of uh, unreliable narrators and that Captain Robert Walton, he's writing to his sister and he's um, telling this story to her. And so his version is quite faithful. All the dates in his are quite correct. Then we get to the uh, Dr. Frankenstein level where it's Dr. Frankenstein trying to portray his version of events and trying to um, maybe show himself in a better light than was probably true. Mm. Um and also, like, there's also going to be discrepancies because, you know, I think it was only a period of about a week or so that he was talking to Dr. Frankenstein before he died. And so there's this possibility that maybe dates weren't correct or days weren't correct. You know, like, he's writing all this stuff down, you know, like, after listening to these sessions, but it's possible there's errors in the script. And um, and so, yeah, and then, of course, when you get to, like, the monster himself, you know... Um, you're getting Dr. Frankenstein's version. So this is probably the most distorted character that you're getting in Mary Shelley's version. You know, like, it's it's probably not entirely accurate. The probably only accurate bit is when Dr. Walton sees Frankenstein himself and he speaks for himself, which is why it's this fantastic speech at the end of the novel that's just amazing. That's incredible. Oh, I, I say I geek out this, on this one. I, I kind of feel like I need to read this fucking book now. <laughs> that, that was something that I thought was interesting when I was doing the Wikipedia is that it is a, an epistolary novel. So it's in a series of letters by different people and different points of view. And at one point, you know, like you said, you're getting the captain's version, you're getting Dr. Frankenstein's version, then you're getting the version of him actually talking to the monster. And then so, yeah, that totally makes sense that there would be unreliable narrators. What I really like about what, um, you know, what Mignola's done, though, is, like, there's that line in the comic where um, he's got uh, Dr. Frankenstein creating Frankenstein, and um, he says that line, um, now I know what it is like to be God, 
that's a line from the James Whale films. It's not in Mary Shelley's book. Oh. And so what he's effectively doing there is basically saying, okay, so Mary Shelley didn't have this detail, but when James Whale was doing his research, he came across this particular line, perhaps from a, a diary entry or a journal entry, and and he put it into his film. So here, that's his like snippet of reality that made it into his version. And so the idea is that every single version of Frankenstein can pull in little bits that could be potentially true in the Hellboy universe. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to talk about that line more. We'll get to it because it comes up again in these issues. It does. Awesome. So he's he's set us up. Yeah, I love that. Quite Thank an you experience. that. Thank you for that, Mark. And Thank you, Mark. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week, and we're going to continue our discussion of Frankenstein Underground. Previously on Frankenstein Underground, issues one and two, the year is 1956. After drinking tequila with Hellboy, Frankenstein was drawn to a Mayan step pyramid where he met a witch who was killed by defending him from demons sent by the Marquis. In his anger, Frankenstein fell through a hole in the pyramid into a prehistoric cavern where he fought dinosaurs and was eventually captured by these underground monster men. And in chapter three, I want to talk about this cover here um, because I love this work by Dave Stewart. You know, the first two issues, I noticed that the color palette was very kind of like drab and kind of dark in those last panels where he's fighting. You know, we get all these kind of bright colors. But then here on this cover, we get like this orange color, which I feel like completely changes the palette. It's a lot of brown. For the rest of the series. And so um, I really like that. And I really like this um, albino monster guy or whatever. You know, he's very reminiscent to me of Elagos, you know, who Hellboy fought in Hell. And then, um, God, there was another guy with a big hammer that I was thinking of that Hellboy has fought also. I cannot think of who it is at There's the moment. been a couple I'm hammer sorry. guys. Yeah, there, there have been a couple hammer guys. As we open up this issue, we pick up somewhere underground. And again, this work by Stenbeck and Stewart is amazing. I love all this caverns and him pulling way back to just show the vastness <laughs> of this cavern. It's good shit. Yeah. So uh, Ben Stenbeck is a New Zealand artist. And, um, yeah, New Zealand has got amazing caves. Um, I was actually watching a documentary about them last night in preparation for this, and it's great. Oh, awesome. Oh, but nice. What was the documentary? The name of the documentary was Beneath New Zealand. Oh, okay, good. Good that. to know, yeah. Oh, nice. As Frankenstein is led to that golden palace, we talked about that golden palace last week. And, you know, I mentioned that it had a red doorway like in the island. But then I went back and looked at the island and it doesn't have a red doorway. Uh, I don't know where I got that detail from. That's a, yeah, I got my details confused or something. But I swore that it's it did. It's a Mandela effect So thing. anyway, yeah, yeah, it must be a different comic that maybe I'm thinking of. There was of. another thing with a door. I'm sure we'll look back. Yeah. We'll find one. That there was a Somebody image that's similar me. to this. Sure. Sorry, I'm just curious because you checked. But was it a golden door? Away? yeah i think so i think it was either golden or it was okay. just black or something but yeah for some reason i in my memory right. i thought it was red I'm anyway sure we've seen this imagery we get frankenstein's internal monologue here he is what they made him and now he'll burn for it he casts you into the darkness into the pit he thinks into desolation his abode should be a nest of serpents his voice tells him but then this other voice Dang, tells him, harsh. no. And we get this like golden word balloon. I kind of like that. So you're like, right. who is this? Who's talking to we've, him? Uh, we've seen stuff like that in the past. And we were very, 
uh, enamored. Yeah, with that. like so, when um, when Hecate would talk, yeah, it would so have like a greenish or purplish has, it's word very balloon. Very effective. Yeah, I like that. I, you know, I hear that internally in a certain way, be, due to all of the various amazing sound designers uh, over the years in uh, you know whatever various movies and yeah and stuff like that. So this is um, this is very effective. And then uh, the illustrations as well is in that. Uh, you know, monks in the margins style, the kind woodcut. Of a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we focus in on that red doorway, and we hear like tortured screams, and we get this imagery right of hell, of people being impaled. And I was looking for, I actually posted on Mike Mignola's art because I was like, somebody help me figure out. Um, my Google search must be going crazy. Like whoever, whatever FBI is monitoring that, because I was like, why is he looking for medieval people on wood, a spit? Woodcut people cooked, poked by wood devils, cut hell impaled, <laughs> woodcut hell torture, Jeez. torture impaled oh, imagery, and man. I was like looking for all this stuff, and I couldn't find it. I found a lot of stuff that was similar to it. But I swear, a lot of this imagery looks really familiar. Well, it's a very specific style. It's yeah. a very specific time well, period. This sort of thing has also been referenced in Witchfinder, too. Yes. Yeah. And this voice tells him to run. Run, the voice continues. And Frankenstein is like, what? He's like, what am I hearing? He's like, I can't. And he just starts reacting. He's like, starts fighting off these guys trying to get away. And then the shackles kind of start coming apart on themselves. Run as far and as fast as you can, the gold word balloon tells him. And then so we see him trying to run off to get away from his captors. And then Clock, he's bashed by this albino giant. I think in the sketchbook it calls him Albino Bruiser. Oh, jeez. He smacks him with his giant hammer, and then Frankenstein starts fighting him. It's a fight. And I love the action here. Yeah, I mean, I just love Ben Stanbeck's work, and getting him to draw these two monsters going at it is just really great. I love, like, the tattoos on the guy's arm, and then he's got, like, one gauntlet on one hand and stuff like that. Just really cool designs. Yeah, the, the artwork is amazing, and it flows so well. You can, just, you can just follow it so easily. But Frankenstein is no match for his captors. He gets bashed by this albino bruiser, and they take him back. Nest of serpents to burn, and we, again, we get that woodcut imagery of people being tortured in hell. Frankenstein resists again, but he's ultimately bested by the bruiser, and then we hear a voice, a knock, no more, a voice says, and we see this guy with a golden helmet. Bring him to me, he says. And before Frankenstein is knocked out, he thinks that he's seen the devil. But we've seen this mask imagery before, right? Do you recognize this? It's the twin serpents, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, right on. Yeah, Nimungala. I like how um, Frankenstein in his, you know, you know, because his mind can't be right because he's been beaten and bashed around. And he thinks he's already fl- fallen into hell. And all of a sudden, this guy kind of runs out with this... It's obviously a mask to us, but as in his delirium state, he probably does see it as a demon. Yeah. And we even get that woodcut imagery again. And yeah. this twin serpent's emblem, we also saw that with Memnon Sa, right? Yeah. He had an emblem of that. I think we also saw it like with the were yetis and stuff like that. What's interesting is it also, I mean, obviously by design, but it always reminds me uh, too of you know the image of the black goddess it's kind of similar in design and then also you know uh those guys that have those swords or whatever 
Serpent oh, kind of right. looks like those swords. The well, serpent so kind of looks like yeah, those hyper it's all tied yeah. to the. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I never thought of that. Is that what the sword is? The yeah, sword is like one of those serpents. serpents. Oh my god, that's so cool. Uh-huh. It just hit me right now. Oh my god, same. Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. What, what did you call that, Mark? Nimum um, Nimumgala. Nimumgala. Nimumgala is uh, the twin serpents. It's the symbol of the left hand path. Nice. Um, the sword, however is um, a part of the right-hand path, um, and uh, but it kind of gets co-opted by the left-hand path. Yeah, they're so mirror, they mirror each other being, quite often. They're like a corrupted version of it. Well, it's, uh. like a ha- it's like when you put your hands together. Yeah. They're, they're mirror images mm-hmm. of each other. So they're, they're going to have similar... Yeah. I like that they have similar design elements. I think that that makes it even yeah. more um, authentic. In a way, just because that that's yeah. it's, it's super interesting to me, just from a design perspective. I really like all those little details. But see, this is what I find interesting too about um, Hellboy's universe is like you know sometimes um, Manuel is not that involved in the writing of these books, but he's always involved in the design element. And I super think like fucking you important. feel that like, like yes, like even in really distant stuff, you kind of like someone walks in, they're wearing a certain thing, yeah. and you're like, oh my god, I understand all the connections. Yes, you know like. That stuff matters. He's a very visual storyteller. Yeah, that's awesome. He will have whole pages with no mm. fucking dialogue. And he will even give specific directions. He will draw out an entire page as a thumbnail and be like, the pacing should be exactly like this. Yeah. The framing should mm. be exactly like this. That's how you should tell the story. And it's very like, okay, yeah. When Mike Mignola tells yeah. you to do that, that is probably very good. You should do that. <laughs> Frankenstein is brought to a room and we're introduced to these two guys. One guy is a doctor and the other guy in the mask is William. The doctor thinks Frankenstein should be chained, but William's cool with him. He greets Frankenstein and apologizes. His name is William. Yeah, he apologizes for his treatment and he says that he and the doctor are friends. He offers Frankenstein food and drink, but Frankenstein says that he thinks he's in hell. Is it the mask, William says, and he removes the twin serpents. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm used to wearing it. You see, the locals have come to expect it. He's like, I don't even realize I'm wearing these things. All right, William. (laughs) If we could only get more people around America right now to not even realize they're wearing a mask, (laughs) maybe they'll be accepting of her wearing a mask. Please. But no, my friend, this isn't how William says, though. If you are who the doctor believes you are, then I can see how you might think you are bound for that fairy tale kingdom. That creature might feel he is overdue to pay for his crimes. I do not know who I am, Frankenstein says. Probably for the best, don't you think? William responds. Damn. I mean, look at you. You are a sight. But not to worry. We are men of science. Okay. Isn't that right, Doctor? It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> So no foolishness about angels and devils. I won't have it, William says. Nice. And Frankenstein's like, you're English. American, which is almost as good. Do you know America? Okay. He's like, I don't think so. Then you may not know we had a war there. Ugh. I've seen wars, Frankenstein says. There's a, a line in there where he's like, oh, um, where he talks about hell as being a fairy tale kingdom, which, you know, like at this point, we've read Hellboy in Hell, and we know it's definitely not a fairy tale kingdom. But I love that just because it's like, it's the kind of line that says, this guy is arrogant as fuck. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I do like the no foolishness about angels and devils. I won't have it. I kind of dig that just on a meta, like a a fourth wall breaking level. But it it is definitely like in in this world, you know, like where (laughs) 
like we know a little bit more like to think that he actually knows this stuff oh sure yeah. in the he, world it's a, of oh course it's God. preposterous for sure yeah but yeah it's just yeah. i found that very humorous so i also like that he called hell a fairy tale kingdom because i mean you know i mean me personally in the real world i do think that yeah, I, I am an yeah. atheist. Uh, but you know, in you know, it's also yeah. There is no hell in, yeah. the, in the in this world. There is the hell, but it's not a fairy tale kingdom. Hmm. Yeah. It might be because then don't they do a lot of stuff with like the fae, like literally with the fae, like it's fairies. Kind of, so, yeah, I, I guess. Fairy tale in that you know, like he's just right. dismissing it out of hand. Just, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Tale, that kind of, you know, like he's using it synonymous with that sort of stuff. But but he's been yeah. hoisted by his own petard. <laughs> William says that he, being a young man, he went into war. He thought it was going to be an adventure, but it proved to be otherwise. And so we get this flashback of him in this war. And I couldn't help but notice this American flag here. We see the 34-star U.S. flag. This flag was used for two years, from 1861 to 1863. And so that tells me that this is Bleeding Kansas, Bloody Kansas, or the Border War which was a series of violent civil confrontations in the Kansas Territory of the United States between 1854 and 1861, which emerged from a political and ideological debate over the legality of slavery in the proposed state of Kansas. It has been called a civil war of its own and a tragic prelude to the American Civil War, which immediately followed it. At the core of the conflict was the question of whether the Kansas Territory would allow or prohibit slavery and thus enter the Union as a slave state or a free state. About 200 died, and Kansas was admitted as a free state. Super extra shameful that that's ever even a debate anywhere on the face of the fucking planet. Yeah. Slavery is bad. Owning other mm. humans as property oh. is not a fucking thing. Did you figure all that out from the flag? Because I was wondering about that flag, and that is fucking a shameful time in our history. Sure. You know, one of many several billion things it is but interesting that you can out? find out uh because he was he was saying that the flag is only used for like three years yeah so then you go and you're like hey there's a war that was literally in these and, three and, years so hey and, that's pretty cool and you know i know about that war and all that but i mean is that how you found out about it because of the flag yeah super interesting. yeah that is exactly how i found I out mean, that's about probably it. why they put that there so Holy that we would fucking that, that we would like surmise that <laughs> that's what i do that's yeah. that's my role here on the show that's like uh, people finding about Tulsa you do it well. because of Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, yeah. And William says that he had nightmares about wars that would come, that would encompass the whole world. So he distracted himself in science with the hollow earth theory put forth by J.C. Sims. John Cleve Sims Jr., this was a real guy. He was an American Army officer, trader, and lecturer that lived from 1780 to 1829. Sims is best known for his 1818 variant of the hollow earth theory, which suggested that the world consisted of a hollow shell with openings across at both poles with four inner shells, each open at the poles. Sims became the most famous of the early hollow earth proponents and Hamilton, Ohio even has a monument to him and his ideas. Although Sims never wrote a book, several authors published works discussing his ideas. And so as I was going down this rabbit hole of the hollow earth theory, because that is a real thing, you can look that up on Wikipedia. Oh, it's a whole thing. Yeah, but I found this interesting oh, yeah. nugget. William Fairfield Warren, in his book, Paradise Found, The Cradle of the Human Race at the North Pole, 
1885 presented his belief that humanity originated on a continent in the Arctic called Hyperborea. Okay. Oh, wow. This influenced some early Hollow Earth proponents. According to Marshall Gardner, both the Eskimo and Mongolian peoples had come from the interior of the Earth through an entrance at the North Pole. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I love stuff like that. Okay, wait. So, did you say that there was a memorial or museum in Ohio? Yeah, it says Hamilton, Ohio. I guess that's where Sims was from. There's a monument to him and his so, ideas. So, book club road trip? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. After, yeah, After the pandemic? <laughs> if, yeah, I should have looked up what that monument is. Uh, maybe if some of our book club members can chime in on that. But Williams... William became obsessed with this idea of the world untouched by the horror of mankind, and he eventually went to England to Reverend Blum's Church of the Inner World, right? So, I don't know if you got this reference, but all of Reverend Blum and his Church of the Inner World was referenced in his uh, in the Witchfinder series, In the Service of Angels. Witchfinder. 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 Williams found Blum to be a lunatic, but then he discovered that <laughs> but then he discovered the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. More lunatics, right? There you go. <laughs> oh, those assholes. Yeah. But Williams said they had scientific proof of a race that might exist in the hollow earth. And so remember in Witchfinder they actually found some of those proto men. Yeah. You know, that we know that lived in the hollow earth. So I guess that was their scientific proof. And we saw them trying to capture one of them. And they were impressed with William's apocalyptic visions, so they took him to their queen, Tefnut Trionis. So I thought this was interesting. We get a description here. Tefnut Trionis, queen of Heliopolis. I can, peasant- hear, I can hear Neil Fallon singing that as lyrics. I know, right? It's a clutch lyric. A peasant girl from Nîmes who had proven herself to be the reincarnated Eugene Remy, founder of the Brotherhood. Yeah, so this is some new canon now that we're getting of the Heliopic Brotherhood with this character. And I noticed, like, in the background, there's this one guy wearing a mask. So we saw that guy in In the Service of Angels. He held Sir Edward at gunpoint. Um, this uh, detail, the, the stuff they're going into here, this was actually something they released in the uh, in Hellboy, The Companion in 2008 and it was sort of like this all this stuff that had never appeared in the comic that they they went into and um it was clearly something that you know Mignola wanted to get to in Witchfinder eventually but it was just still a long way off so this is our first introduction to it in the comics yeah and I love this because it starts tying into the hell on earth stuff and all of that as I was reading this I was like man I really hope he says something about this part I'm so excited I'm so glad that you did that's great I told her my vision, and she told me that the war would only be the beginning, that in the end, ancient monsters would wake to destroy all mankind. So that's definitely in line with the hell on earth stuff. And we see Tryon is saying, the spirit Larzod revealed to me not only the future, but also the distant past, the end, but also the beginning, the great civilization of the first men and the powers that were theirs to command, and such things cannot pass away. They exist still inside the earth. The only future for man is underground. 
And so we cut back to Williams. Larzad. And he says, She chose me to lead the first great migration into the hollow earth. Myself and several of the Brotherhood's leading scientists and ten wives each. Yikes. So that we might get to the business of populating our new world. I also brought my son and young daughter. Okay. And so we cut to June 12th, 1889. And we see well, these blimps going down into the hollow earth. Those are probably going to be more uh, dirigibles than blimps. But um, you know things are going to go south when he says, then I brought my sons and daughters. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I do love this imagery, though, of these blimps or yeah. dirigibles, like Aubrey said, going down into the hollow earth. I think that is such a neat cool. idea. Yeah. You know, and remember, like, mm-hmm. when when we first got introduced to the hollow earth, Abe and crew found, like, a Nazi submarine down there right. and stuff like that. So several people have tried to go down there in different ways. The dinosaurs aren't having it. Exactly. So... As they go down there, they, they discover all the dinosaur monsters. And we see them attacking Wrecking the people. Fucking... And they're eating some dude's head. Jeez. Again, the, the work by Stenbeck is incredible in this series. I just love it. This uh, top panel on this page, the way that uh, they're standing around that dirigible fire thing, it looks kind of like the doctor and his two companions. And that's his console in the background. And they're about to be eaten by dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't get that reference. Doctor Who fans will get that. Okay. Right on. Oh, yes. Most died, including William's daughter. And they found that gold palace. So this is that city that they were taking Frankenstein to at the end of issue two. William could feel something there from ancient times. So he left his daughter there alone in the dark. Okay, wait. And sometime later, she was alive again. Frankenstein calls this a miracle, but William says it's science. The doctor doesn't think that Frankenstein can understand this. He's like, ah, just bring him to my laboratory. No laboratory, Frankenstein says. And he starts to get all riled up. But William says that they're friends. He's like, remember, we're we're, we're your friends. We're going to give you food and drink and stuff. And he touches Frankenstein's chest and Frankenstein falls backwards. So he did something to him there. It's at this point in the story that I am found myself completely lost. I had to like stop and go back and reread a bunch of stuff. Okay. Cuz I was just, there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, there is, but it's all going to tie together really nicely, I think. Yeah, no, I just like at this point I I remember just being like what is happening. <laughs> the guards, they come to take Frankenstein to the laboratory, but William says he changed his mind. And the doctor starts getting all pissed about it, but William says he wants to talk to Frankenstein more. And his eyes turn all green and evil. And he warns the doctor to remember who the master is. And he dismisses him. And when he addresses the doctor here, he calls him Dr. Lubitsch. And so, of course, I had to look that up. I was wondering that this might be a reference to Ernst Lubitsch. This was a German-born film director, producer, writer, and actor. His urbane comedies of manners gave him the reputation of being Hollywood's more, most elegant and sophisticated director. As his prestige grew, his films were promoted as having the Lubitsch touch. Amongst his best-known works are Trouble in Paradise, Designed for Living, The Shop Around the Corner, To Be or Not to Be, and Heaven Can Wait. I've never heard of any of those nope. films, but I did think that that was interesting, and I thought that that was such a weird name. I was like, I wonder if this is a reference to something. So maybe Mignol is a fan of this of these guys' movies or something like that. I have heard of Heaven Can Wait. Okay. Oh, okay. And so the guards take Frankenstein out, and they chain him to this column. And I like this panel where the doctor's like storming off. You can tell he's all pissed and stuff like I that. Wanted, <laughs> I wanted to slice this guy up. Oh, yeah, man. I wanted him in my laboratory. 
All right. And as he walks away, well, we see Williams. He's got his green eyes, and he's saying that weird frog language stuff. So okay. we're like, Ugh. Yeah. I do want to point out this detail. <laughs> There's like a curtain behind him. There's like something behind him right. shrouded by this purple curtain. While chained up, Frankenstein starts praying, and he remembers the Virgin Mary and the Sacred Heart. So remember, in issue two, he had this flashback where he was remembering going into this church and praying before the statue of Mary. And so we kind of get that here again. He's kind of remembering that. And we get that gold word bubble again. Yeah, It says, I begged you to run. I tried. I couldn't, Frankenstein says. Then you must be here for a reason. Okay, first I gotta say, the pose that they've got Frankenstein in while he's chained up, he's literally chained in a prayer position, which, that's fantastic. Second of all, we're calling back to uh, the event from um, the second issue, which was recalled in flashback, where he was in a church praying, this priest comes up, beats him, then they never actually show what happens there, but we know that he killed the priest in a church. Uh, and there's this moment, you know, where we cut to a close-up of the, the statue of Mary, and it says, guilty, before the whole human race. And I like, so I love that we're calling back to this particular moment, and what they choose to do that with is that picture of the cross and the rust down the bottom looks like blood you know to to combine these two ideas of you know like what's happened there sorry just i really thought that was a cool moment yeah see what's super interesting is that that's where you you have all these rich things to draw from and be like oh here's the allegory of the position he's in to me i look at this panel and i'm just like sorry this has a really firm grasp on anatomy look at those feet yeah it's hard to draw feet. <laughs> Drawing feet is hard, especially when they're all, you know, they're bent and kind of crumpled like that. Like it, that, that pose looks like it would be hard to draw. Look at the yeah. back and the, you know, everything. So I'm thinking of like technically how it's good, and you know, so I. That's why it's a book club. Is I appreciate, you know, that you come in with all the, the different perspectives. Oh, and because he's, you know, it's literally chained in a prayer position. The last time he did this thing, and then he was like, "Oh, you're guilty." And then the cross looks, the rust looks like blood. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, it really does." Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's great. I mean, like, like when you have a line like guilty before the whole human race sure. and a close up of Mary's face, yeah. it's pretty clear that, like, at, at, you know, like in this story, the statue of Mary pretty much symbolizes Frankenstein's guilt. Like, you know, they are one and the same. Right. All of that completely escaped me, went over my head. And so to be able to read it in that context is um, super interesting. I wouldn't have come up with that by myself. So I'd like, I I love the fact that we can all get together and talk about this shit because that's yeah, and, and and I do like that you mentioned that Mark because in that first time that it was framed it was guilty before the human race but then here it's like I begged you to run so the, you were getting two different mm-hmm. kind of perspectives on that too the way that he sees it and then this like external voice that's kind of calling out to him it tells him oh yeah there's there's a transformation here yeah. It tells him, then you must be here for a reason. There's a clank, and then we see in the real time Frankenstein is unshackled. And then he sees a vision of that Virgin Mary with a sacred heart. And he's like, what? What's happening? And it says, follow me. And so he follows it, and it leads him further into the palace. But then when it turns around, it's no longer the Virgin Mary. It's like this golden woman. She's got like a Hyperborean crown. And so now this is like some sort of different being. At first he saw it one way. Now he's seen it a different way. There's this flash of light that kind of engulfs him. 
and then it's no longer there, but it led him to the dead girl, right? That was killed, William's daughter. And just like Hellboy, all these dead people start talking to him. We see the son of William. He says, his daughter, my sister, we need your help. The little girl looked like she has like um, like a wound in her head. And like, yeah, no, we'll find shot. out what later happens. But it's just like, oh, what's going on there? Why is she there and all the ghosts are talking to Frankenstein? Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't mention that. When we see the dead girl, we also see she has a wound in her head. So that's kind of, that does make you think like, okay, what is going on here? Why is she dead? But then there's all these other dead people that are talking, but she's not. Right? So obviously there's a distinction there. Uh, before we go to the next chapter, I think it's probably a good time to kind of uh, look at something that went through the last two chapters. So um, how familiar are you with Edgar Rice Burroughs' Pellucidar series? Oh, I used to be super into that. The Princess of Mars stuff and um, John Carter and all that. Well, John Carter of Mars, uh, that's the Mars, or sorry, the Basum series. Um, Pellucidar is the Hollow Earth series that he did. Oh, okay. I thought there was a character called that in the later books. I'm getting them confused then. So Mignola's drawing on the Pellucidar series hugely in these two issues. Like he's recreating so many different elements that like um, the dirigibles going down into uh, like through a hollow and everything like this is all stuff from those books. And one thing I kind of like that that's going on here, and we'll probably touch on this a little bit more as we go in, is just that, you know, like, um, when you read the uh, John Carter books, there's there's always this um, colonialist aspect that's a bit uncomfortable to read nowadays. Right. And um, especially the way it's celebrated and, and always like these uh, characters that are, you know, like uh, these perfect examples of men, if that makes sense, all the time as their leads, um, you know, very idealized. And I like that Mignola's telling this same kind of story, but with Frankenstein, a very flawed character in place uh, in the main character's place instead yeah that that is interesting and yeah those books do have a lot of the savages and stuff like that that kind of like connotation yeah but mignola is quite explicit here in that you know like the the people who go into the earth to uh, colonize it like they they would in the edgar rice burroughs books um these characters are the villains in this Right. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. So going into this chapter four, I love this cover here. Um, it reminds me of the amazing screw on head imagery kind of stuff, you know, but we also get um, obviously Frankenstein and the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra imagery. Um, I just love all this stuff, like a head in a jar and the anatomical, you know, models and stuff like that. Just really great stuff. Yeah, it's a great cover. We pick up with Frankenstein over the dead girl. He doesn't understand, he says. And I think we don't either, right? We're like, what's right, going yeah. on here? What is happening? Why did the gold woman lead him You've to this dead girl? you to where I'm at, <laughs> which is basically what in the fuck is happening at any given moment in this book? Well, obviously the golden woman left him there because he now has to find the next step. That's yeah. The sun and the other ghosts are surprised that Frankenstein saw her, the gold woman. They felt her presence, but they've never seen her. And I like the way that they talk. They kind of like finish each other's sentences. Right. They're like, we felt her presence. Sometimes she seems close, but we've never seen her. So it's like three different like people talking. Yeah, I like that. 
then he is the one. He must be, one says. What is she, Frankenstein asks. And the dead William's son, he says, a spirit, something from ages ago, from the time of the first men. Before there were human beings, there were people, the golden people, descended directly from the angels. Their great civilization was called Hyperborea, and it stretched across the top of the world. It's all ice there now, but back then it was a paradise. And so we've heard of the golden people and all this kind of stuff before. He also talks about... King Thoth decided that his empire should spread, and so he sent his seven sons out to build seven new cities. And he chose seven women and blessed them each with a secret fire, the Vril. And so we see the seven women being brought out, and King Thoth is blessing all of them, and he and as he does, he says, even as Anum took fire out of heaven, and we see like the fire glow over their heads. And then they're encased in some sort of like crystal or something. And then they bestowed them with power and then packaged them up and took them on their way. Yeah. And very enlightened society, right? And he sent them out to be the living hearts of the new cities. And the cities were built. And Dave Stewart and Ben Steinbeck are just killing it on these panels right here. I really love this. It's so beautiful, the imagery here. And I was trying to look at for these birds, I think that these are maybe, in a lot of fictionalized versions of what a phoenix would be, that's how they're kind of depicted. Right. So I wonder if that's what it was. It's also kind of reminiscent of a rosate spoonbill. Yeah. But the spoonbill doesn't have the long tail, the tail yeah. you know, and stuff like that, like kind of like birds of paradise and right. stuff. But I did go down a rabbit hole looking for yeah, the different birds. Yeah, they were like, birds. what if Spoonbill, but extra fancy tail? Yeah, and and not necessarily the sp- I don't know if it has the Spoonbill. It looks like it has more like a regular beak. But Maybe on a profile it's, Wait, you know. So, so will you post a picture of this bird along with other birds that you looked up from research? Sure, I, I sure will. And, and wh- what I... Awesome. At first glance, I was like, Ibis? Okay. But I don't know. When I looked at depictions of what a phoenix would be right uh, it, it was very reminiscent tail, of this yeah. so i was wondering if maybe that's what this was this bird was supposed to be but anyway um i just love this top panel it's, it's bird talk yeah it's really beautiful no it's super good and uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah and we see the woman there encased in that crystal and all was well till the serpent came to twist and corrupt the minds of those men heka emin ra and so I love this. We we don't see the corruption, but we see like this snake shadow, you know, over the men. Right. They turned away from the light, shut it away, and rededicated their temples to the black goddess. Okay, okay. Demons were invited back into the world. And so we see this priest here. He's kind of like... Fucking um, with shit he has no business fucking right. with. Right. He's pulling out someone's heart. And then we also see those creatures in the abyss. So he's kind of like trying to bridge that gap. And so this is really important. I want to focus in on this dark priest guy, you know, and the robe that he's wearing. Because this imagery is going to come back later. Men lose powers they couldn't control. And so we see the lightning coming down. But is that the Vril? Is it the Shakti? You know, the black flame version of the Vril? You know, all that imagery kind of came flooding into my mind as I was looking at these panels. Well, so going back to that one panel you wanted us to focus in on with the priest and the, I guess, the spirit Og drew him. You notice how one of the tentacles looks like it's going into his heart? Oh, yeah. As he's pulled the heart out of somebody? Yeah, that's a good detail. Good catch there, Aubrey. Right on. I wouldn't have caught it if you hadn't told me to look at it deeper. Ah, okay. 
<laughs> the seven cities were destroyed and sunk into the earth. So that's what this city is, right? This golden palace that Frankenstein has come across. It's one of these destroyed cities that has been hidden away forever. Oh, yeah. He's just like, thanks for the exposition, but, uh, w- you know, what the fuck? How do you know all yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> and then I like this line where they're like, ghosts, they won't leave us alone. Ah. <laughs> Those ghosts, you know, they just won't leave us alone. Oh, boy. This whole section is so much like the stuff that it gives you here do we need to um, do we need to do a mark so break <laughs> let's do a mark break let's, <laughs> let's hear from mark i want to hear from mark okay so the seven outposts sinking into the earth and everything we've heard of that and we'll come back to that again later but one thing i love here is the, the stuff they've introduced with these women who were blessed with the power of real by thoth and uh were then like, you know, the living hearts of these cities. Now, if these cities have fallen, the question remains, of course, what happened to these women, These the hearts of these cities? Now, they're going to go into that a little bit as this issue goes along, but we don't really know what happened at least to the other six cities and their hearts. So they talk a little bit about reincarnation and stuff, uh, like, because we know reincarnation is a part of uh, the Hellboy universe, we know that uh, Tefnut Trionis is a reincarnation of Eugene Remy. Um, we, like, reincarnation doesn't necessarily always happen, but I think it seems to happen when someone is bound to certain powers. So we've got these uh, women that, you know, like, uh, we know there's one in this story, but what happened to the other six? My theory is that some of them did die. Uh, you know, like, the, the hearts were extinguished, but because of the power of the Vril that's bound to them, they were reincarnated. So I'm wondering if there's any other women with this kind of strange firepower in them, who they might be. Right, yeah. Huh, I wonder. Oh, my God. This is like the best way to go into Liz's origin without ever saying it. Yeah. Oh, my God. When you started saying that, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to say Liz. That's the reincarnated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. That's a it, great it, point. It gives us... All this history about, like, I, they, they constantly talk about Liz without talking about Liz, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. That is also a great way to explain, I mean, if you want to explain. I mean, that is a great way to, you know, she's a reincarnation of one of these spirits. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it it also explains why the Black Flame um, also has, the, like, it's always hunting down these girls that may potentially have this power, and why that power is only ever bound to girls. Oh, you're right, and we talked about that. There was some imagery of that in, God, what did we just read? Rasputin, the Voice of the yes, Dragon. Yes, yes, that was touched on in Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon. Thank you for that, Mark. We, we, we yeah. saw flashbacks where... San who was protecting these girls, you know what I mean? And so these girls are, yeah, they must be reincarnated versions of these women in the crystals that were blessed with the secret fire. And also, you know, potentially Liz is one of these people too. So I love that, Mark. Thank you for mentioning that. That is so insightful. But also, what if like, you know, um, they were reincarnated at an earlier age and then had children and spreading that, that genome into the world? You know, the magic genome. Yeah, I love that. I love thinking about all that. The dead son of William, he says, this is our new hell. And he picks up with what happened to them. When they found the palace and William laid the dead girl Nora down, she rose from the dead. And we see that secret fire above her. So maybe she was a reincarnation of one of these two. 
the monsters stayed away from her. And then also they met these friendly underground people and they had some sort of hyperborean underground Thanksgiving with them. But there was that evil doctor. He was obsessed with the past and he wanted to learn the secret to the Vril. And so he set this evil priest free. So we see him like kind of opening all these caskets. And then there we see that priest. And so remember, we saw that priest that was taking out the heart and he had the Ogdruhem in the abyss kind of tied to him. So this guy has the same robe, right, as that one. So he kind of let loose. Yeah, and um, you've jumped over something really major. Did you notice what was sitting on top of the casket yeah, before the you opened it? Oh, right. There's like the chalice. Yeah. Talk about that. Okay. So we've seen this twice before. Okay. So the previous time we saw it was in Ape Sapien, The Drowning. And it was used as a vessel to hold the soul of a uh, Hyperborean priest when it was being swapped from body to body. um, Like he's so, yeah. So this, we know this particular thing holds a soul. There is one other time we've seen it. It was in the island. So in the island, we know that uh, there was um, the right hand of Anum, and it was the sacred object of the Hyperborean people. They kept it inside this, an identical thing. This Now, I've asked Mignola about this, and he said that these ones are replicas of that original one. Oh, the original wow. one would have been gigantic because it is literally the hand of a, a watcher, so it would have been huge. Okay. But the point is... This is a vessel for a soul. The point being that Adam's soul was still alive in that hand. Right. I totally missed so, yeah. that detail uh, there. Yeah. So this this object is extremely important. It it is literally a vessel to hold a soul. I think I was just laying on the ground in this panel here. It's just like fucking knocked over on the fucking. Yeah. yeah. So like that what? maybe that was protecting that evil priest, or that was kind yeah, of locking him in there. As soon as he shoves the lid off of this fucking sarcophagus, this this little dude in here is just like. Rah, 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 yeah. And it's just like ugh. It's the fucking creepiest <laughs> thing. Thank you for that, though, uh, yeah. for bringing us back to so that they, thing. That's so great. by taking that thing off, and they even focus on it in one panel, he kind of let loose this evil power. I kind of feel like this guy's asking for fucking trouble. <laughs> so you you oh, discover yeah. an ancient uh, civilization in the center of the fucking world, and you're hanging out with this whole group of people that you just discovered existed, and you're now you're going to go digging around in their burial site and unearthing literally rows and rows of tombs and sarcophagi until you've come across a cursed mummified ancient priest guy and just knock over a soul jar like what is this guy fucking doing (laughs) this is all kinds of ill-advised shit going on yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Mark. I, t- I did totally skip over that. I totally didn't even catch yeah, that no, in my notes. I'm going to have to go back to Abe Sapien, the Drowning, and the Island to compare the chalice. Yeah, so when he did that, we see that evil priest, and then that's what corrupted William. And so we see that's when his eyes turned all green and evil, and we see him talking to the Ogdruham or whatever, this evil spirit in the abyss. The natives were the first to notice, William's dead son says... And they noticed the change in his father. Most of them fled the city, and the ones that remain, they changed and became ugly and cruel. 
They were all too afraid to do anything. So remember in that, when they captured Frankenstein initially, I was like, I wonder why there's two of them. Why are there some that are like capturing the other ones? And so I guess the other, the ones that were captured were the ones that fled and the ones that were the captors are the ones that stayed and turned evil too. Only Nora dared to confront him. And so we see here that William being possessed by this evil priest, he shoots Nora. So that's why she has the bullet hole. And I guess that her with the secret fire being killed by this possessed black goddess. That was enough to do something. Right. Where yeah. she actually did die. At least she's free, he says. She escaped. But he will not let us go. We grow older and older, but he won't let us die. So I thought that was so crazy. Like, they're they're just, I guess they're still alive, but they're just like... Well, it's like they're dead, but they're trapped, and they can't move on. They're possessing their own corpses. Yeah. (laughs) And and they're like, we want to move on, but he he won't let us. They're like ghosts trapped in their own bodies. Corpses. Yeah. He says, and he grows more powerful all the time, and we get this imagery of people being burned. So remember, all the prisoners were being brought in there, and Frankenstein could sense all the torture that was going on. And so here, you know, we can guess that these prisoners are all being burned, and we see the smoke coming out of the top of the palace. This guy sucks. If the spirit of the secret flame appeared to you, it can only mean she's chosen you to set things right. And you must. And they're all like, you must, please, you have to help us. And Frankenstein's like, oh, I don't know what to do. So he goes and he takes the dead Nora. He takes her to the doctor. But I love this pacing as he's like taking her. Yeah. He takes her down the steps. It's they, just let really, the, they let it breathe. Yeah. That's great. It, t- it takes up a full page. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Frankenstein takes her to the doctor. And we see all the weird heads and stuff in his lab. I want to say that there's some Easter eggs that I'm missing here. I do I wanna, not like this. I, I want to say that we've seen some imagery like this in Conquer Worm. There's like the 43 pinned on one of them. Yeah. And then they even focus in on this one that has like the 7E. Is that a 7E or is it like an FE, like mm-hmm. iron? Uh, I was wondering if right. we've seen that before. Have we seen that little scripture writing like that, Mark? I don't think so. I think it's just trying to remind us of uh, Conqueror Worm. Yeah. I also thought it was Effie, like a curse of Effie. Right. Right, yeah. Because Effie, isn't that iron? Iron. Yeah, or something like that. And so... It is iron. It makes me think of like Iron Prometheus, or I don't know. I was trying to... Maybe I was trying to look too deep into that. You're trying to be... You're trying to be Mark. (laughs) You can't be Mark. There's only one Mark. The doctor says he knew Frankenstein would come, but he's surprised he brought the girl. I've come to kill you, doctor, and your master, Frankenstein says. But the doctor's like, but you won't, will you? No, because you've got too much blood on your hands already. You do know what you are. And then he says, Frankenstein. So there he kind of owns it, too. He's like, I feel like it's okay to call him Frankenstein because he even says, I'm already okay with it. And again, we get that panel, like you mentioned earlier, Mark, where he says, now I know what it's like to be God. And what I like about this is, you know, in our last episode where we were talking about this series, I put the little clip in. And so in the clip, he's like, 
it's alive. Right. Now I know what it's like to be God. But yeah. here he like whispers it to himself. Whisper, yeah. I love that Much kind more of dramatic. Yeah, that juxtaposition of it. You know, he's just saying it to himself as he's like stitching this thing together. I really like that. It's got well, that, I love his eyes too. Yeah. It's got that mega creepy factor. Yeah. When it's delivered that way. Yeah, it's like the realization comes with this touch of fear as well. Yes. Yeah. It better. Yeah. It's just a very well panel the doctor says you are his creature i recognize you at once he was a great man your creator a great scientist oh i know he treated you badly abandoned you and when you confronted him and asked him to build you a mate here we're referencing back to the book so here's where reading the synopsis of the book lent some more uh, relevance to these panels and this part of the story because that is in the book you know frankenstein asks the doctor to build him a mate and then when the doctor is doing it he's like oh this is a terrible idea so then he doesn't do it but here frankenstein's like oh we'll go away you know we'll dwell in savage places and you won't hear from us again but the doctor didn't do it so then frankenstein eventually got mad at him and then there's a bunch of other stuff that happens in the story but basically frankenstein ends up killing victor frankenstein's wife i think her name is eleanor is that right Uh, i think so yes i honestly can't remember now I should have that in my notes. I do remember that happened in the 90s, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, Frankenstein. Yeah. And so that's this panel that we see here, you know, so the doctor's like, oh, and who could blame you for taking such terrible revenge? And he's like, I never wanted to kill. Of course you didn't. No creature should be treated as you have been, forced to live all your years alone. And so when the Frankenstein book ends, he's like left in the ice you know, like wandering off or something like that, floating off in the ice. So I think that that's what this panel is, is like, you know, all those years that he was kind of left out there. Those panels back there when he's talking to Frankenstein, they're actually truncated quotes from the novel. Oh, nice. Okay, so I love that. They're taking it straight from the book. Again, blending that, like you were saying earlier, all the different versions of Frankenstein that exist in our world exist here too, but different versions. The doctor asks, is that why you brought her to me? You want me to bring her back to life? Frankenstein asks, can you? The doctor says, she's been dead a very long time. Save her and you save yourself, Frankenstein says. I will let you live. But your master, William, the doctor responds, I've known the man a long time, but he has never been mine. And he touches Frankenstein and he's like, oh, my God. So he like he gets something there. He realizes something. We'll come back to that a little later. So the doctor's like, okay, you know, we'll save her together. And then you can do whatever you want to William. You can kill him or do whatever you want. But like William is hearing this. And so remember, we saw William and he was behind this curtain. So here we see the curtains open and that dead priest is back there again, right? So that's kind of what's possessing him. Again, drawing that he's possessed by that priest that was pulling the heart out and all that kind of stuff. So just as he's about to do it, William comes in and he's like, stop. What is the meaning of this? It's the Vril, William, the doctor says. It's not in the city. It's here in the monster. I touched the thing and I felt it. So when he touched Frankenstein, he was like, oh, what's this? He felt the Vril somehow in there. And I love this contraption. So he's like got Nora hooked up to this thing. And then he's got like a knife hooked up to the other thing. And he's just going to like stab Frankenstein with it and get the power or something. Okay. Somehow Frankenstein did it, accident or design, I don't know, but he managed to draw down that power. The Vril, the secret fire, it's here. And so he stabs Frankenstein, but I love all the imagery. It's tying everything together right here. It's just really nice. We see 
Anum blessing the woman, you know, and all that kind of stuff. This page here is pretty much the reason Mignola did this story. Yeah. Like, right. Basically, once he introduced Frankenstein, uh, you know, in House of the Living Dead, he was just like, huh, suddenly it makes sense why Frankenstein came to life, what that really was. Huh, I kind of have to go into that. Yeah. I liked his version better. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and, and I love this, so... As he stabs Frankenstein in the power, the secret fire is going into Nora. We see the doctor fall back and he's like, good God, don't you feel it? And his right hand is on fire. And I couldn't help but think of Anum pulling yeah. the fire with his right hand. So we get that symbolism there. Oh, good catch. Yeah. As all this is happening, Frankenstein starts to freak out. He's like, no, rawr. He starts getting up and he's like, he takes the knife out of himself. No help, doctor. No future only death and so he stabs the doctor with the knife killing him but i love like the doctor he was all ready to let frankenstein kill william but then here in this last moment he's like no help me william so he's like he's so wishy-washy you know what i mean with his allegiances or whatever i also like how when he stabs him with a knife he just bursts into flame yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no magical no. vril observe absorbing energy or whatever he just yeah bursts into flames Yep. Then William confronts Frankenstein, and he pushes him back, I guess, with this evil power. This sound effect where he pushes him back, the womp. Right. It makes me think of the. It makes me think of the sound effect from the uh, Inception movie trailer. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Great. But that's actually good sound design here because it's it's got a purpose here. Like you know, in the trailers, it's just like ah, uh, here's some dramatic, here's some cheap oh. heat. You know, like. Yeah. No, 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 but, but no, with exception in the trailer, it was great. It was all the knockoffs. Sure, 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 absolutely. I just but feel I like mean, it would be an appropriate sound design choice here, I think. I, I think that that would sound great. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. It sounded great. William says, Frankenstein's nothing. The tiniest flickering flame to be put out. Darkness was before the light, and when the last light's put out, darkness will reign all over, and Frankenstein's like, no, rawr! And then we get <laughs> Frankenstein, right hand of undead, boom, number one, hey, or whatever. Okay, I don't know. Right. I just thought it was interesting. Sure. That he hits him with his right hand, and it says boom. Well, that's I was... <laughs> actually... I Frankenstein, right hand, boom, number one. <laughs> that's actually interesting, because ever since Mark and y'all started going off about, well... You see, Danielle, sometimes stories contain allegories and, you know, and so I started thinking about this shit and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's actually really, you know, intense and I, I can't really relate to it as directly as some people can. I can see how that works and I can kind yeah. of start exploring those mechanisms in my head and then... This whole time I've been kind of going through and seeing the parallels between Frankenstein and Hellboy. Yeah. And how similar and also how different and and so i've just been thinking about the similarities but i've also been thinking about the differences like you know frankenstein is he's got a lot of emotional shit going on man he's like a he's a very emo kid and so then we've got hellboy who's just like yeah you know right it is what it is <laughs> kind of a thing and uh what are you gonna do there's a lot to be tortured about and I think there's a lot of like, I got responsibility on my shoulders. I got a lot to fuck. My past is all weird and I don't know what to fucking do from here. But I think the way that they both handle it is so different. Yeah. Subway's like, yeah, I guess I'm supposed to be like the apocalypse guy. I don't know. I don't really fucking buy into that horse shit. And then this guy's like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's very interesting to see 
how he lets the guilt consume him and Hellboy's like, I completely reject that, categorically reject right. that. And so that's been kind of running through my mind here. And so then when it, you know, came to the boom, that kind of solidifies it for me of as like these mirror yeah. journeys here. I don't know. I don't He's really... even got like his right hand is all wrapped up. It's right. kind of different than yeah. the other hand. And there's kind of like that asymmetrical thing going on there i like that so he's got both the roger story and the hellboy story kind of wrapped up into one thing here and so it's been interesting it may be that i am come here to die so be it so long as you die with me frankenstein says to william and as he looks down at him he sees like all the ectoplasm evil yeah that's a striking image yeah it's all coming out of william and that's how that chapter ends really cool i love that it's intense so i wanted to talk about the people in the underground um and i kind of waited until this point to talk about them because i feel like we've got everything on the table we need um in order to be able to discuss it properly they never really go into where they come from but i have my own theories about it so you know uh how like the cities of um, Hyperborea sunk into the earth, and they were they like um, the left-hand path. While they were down there, basically created their own slave race um, that eventually rose up against them and overthrew them, and that's where the King of Fear came from. So we know that more than one sunk because this is another city, and here we get kind of a different take on I think what happened because see, in King with the King of Fear, they overthrew this guy, and then they kept on using the Shakti. Like that's their their whole society is still built around it. Whereas this society, they overthrew the priest, they locked him away, put his soul in this jar so that he couldn't, you know, um, bother them anymore. And they became a peaceful people and they were happy. And, you know, like, they, like when he comes back, basically brings back all the horrors of everything they had previously overthrown. And that, sh- you know, the Shakti that he's channeling is corrupting all the ones that stayed within that circle. Right. So, you, know, you can kind of see, once again, same stuff they're always playing on but you know i I like that we do see that like if they hadn't been you know like uh like the the people that were seen in the king of fear didn't have to be that way you know there were other ones that chose a different path and they were happy yeah i like that that's so interesting i didn't even think about where those people came from but yeah you're absolutely right it's just like kind of like a different version also lending to the idea that you can kind of choose to reject that, you know, and be a peaceful race and have a Thanksgiving underground with all your babies and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> they always have that as a running theme, that your origin does not define you. Right. Yeah. Very cool. And digging into this Chapter 5 cover, I love this Mignola art. These covers have been so amazing. And so, again, whenever Mignola draws the Black Goddess, we get the kind of snake imagery and all that. It's just really cool. Good stuff. We open in Paris in 1882, and we see, again, Tefnut Trionis. And she's telling the Heliopic Brotherhood the secret history of the world. So she's like, oh, you guys have become my best friends, and I'm going to reveal all this crazy stuff to you. And I love this because... We got one version of this in the island, and I don't think we've ever gotten another version of it now, but here... Yeah, I was like, can someone tell her that they they need to go down into an ancient fucking well to discover, like, golden tablets? She's just lounging on a couch like, yeah, the secret history of the world is just basically this. Well, Eugene Remy had one of those tablets. He actually found she's, and she's the reincarnation. She is literally telling them what she read on that tablet. Right, because Eugene Remy had the tablet at the end of Rasputin. That's where he got it from. Huh. 
Mm. Interesting. I, I feel kind of bad for her, to be honest. No, yeah, sure, I mean, sure, sure. Like, yeah, absolutely, only, yeah. Like, she's the only female member of the um, <laughs> Brotherhood of Ra, and um, she was literally recu- recruited as a little girl and just basically stuck in a room and told that she's an oracle. Oh, it's fucked up. Yeah. I, I like this detail that she gives in her version. She basically mentions that the creation of the world takes time and it's like growing seeds, but the watchers, mostly Anum, just got impatient yeah. and decided to take the fire of, out of the and air. You know what I mean? Like, ah, uh, let's just get on with it. You know what I mean? I like that little detail that is so interesting and it makes me think like the watchers are... They're subject to impulses just like we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just a really interesting little take on that that I was like, ah, that's a little... That's a little nugget that we haven't heard before. Well, and this is what I was talking about, is that she goes on to say, describe the Vril, this power, they used it to fashion the fucking Ogdru Jihad. Yeah. Which in a way is kind of parallel Mm -hmm. with like, oh, they take this great power that they don't really fucking respect or understand, and they just use it to all of a sudden make this big, horrible fucking thing that they cannot control that could completely destroy the goddamn world at any given moment. So... That's kind of where I was going with that, but yeah. So, John, I actually didn't actually catch that whole thing where she said that they grew impatient and threw the fire out. And so that's an interesting theory because it's just like, you know, because all these horrors that are happening in the comic are because of them creating the Andrew Jihad and they just been patient. None of this would have happened. Yeah. What would the world have been like or what would have happened? Instead, I don't know. It's just it's well, just yeah. interesting. Well, she says they dared, yeah, to take the fire, and it's kind of and do all this shit with it. And it's kind of like if you had more respect for this power, you would be able to have a different kind of relationship with it. Yeah, and I think that exploring the relationship to the Vril has been something that we've been very interested in in all these books. And different people have different relationships with the Vril. And yeah. exploring those, the nature of those relationships, I think is super, at least to me, like that's what really stands out for oh, yeah. me yeah. about the Vril. Like taking in everything that I've been uh, hearing from y'all has helped to kind of bring me back to that theme. And I've been kind of just mulling that over this whole time. Yeah, I love that. And it's so thought provoking. And again, it tells us this is how darkness came into the world. As they were a crime against nature, darkness was drawn to them. And so they created the Ogdruhem, and we've heard about this in the island as well, but I love seeing this Ben Stenbeck version of it. It's really cool, and so the Watchers were horrified by the Ogdruhem, so they went to war against them, and then so some of the Ogdruhem were imprisoned in Earth, others were cast out into empty space, and so we know all this. Some exist in the Void, and some exist underground. The Void is like, what the fuck? <laughs> we don't want this shit <clears throat> put it back but the Ogdraham can never die they had only to wait for the weakness of the men the first men the golden people in their later days greedy for powers rightfully denied them those men turned from the light to worship darkness so the Ogdraham found their way back into the world through the hearts of men and again we see that evil priest again with the Ogdraham behind him that's where all this is coming from kind of leading us back to William and so it kind of I love this pacing too because we see the evil priest and then when we turn the page we see the dead corpse of it that's been possessing William this whole time but uh, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men yeah 
and we cut back to 1956 somewhere underground and so i think this is really cool as the ogdrahem is being released from william in this like ectoplasm stuff or whatever we kind of saw this imagery in goodbye mr todd and stuff like that but it's like as all this stuff is coming out of him William is, like, remembering. He's, like, becoming his human self again. And he's like, oh, the high priest, all those years, it was inside of him. Waiting, trapped there, till the doctor set it free. Don't know, doesn't matter. Too late. Oh, God, that we had all died out there. That we had never set foot in this cursed place. What have I done? So, like, as as this thing is releasing from him, he's, like, realizing what happened like his last bit of humanity is there to make him regret everything that he's done it's just like wow you know i don't know that was very emotionally effective to me but so he does let loose this ogdrahem frankenstein runs out and then he's got to fight this thing i was ready to die in the past i had begged for death but not like this to come so far for this no the woman said and so here he's being attacked by all these people again, and he's like, they're telling him the frog language, and I like how he's like, no, your words don't mean anything. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> kill the man, kill the doctor, save the dead people. She said, for a reason. In the last episode, Danielle asked, what is the reason, right? <laughs> oh. But why, Danielle said. This is why, right? He was brought here for a reason. Again, he has to fight that albino bruiser again. And as he's getting choked out, we see William there. I love this little panel. It like cuts over to William with all the dead people, including his son and Nora. And he's like, oh, can you forgive me? Something as simple, though. Something as simple as asking for forgiveness. Right. And there's a moment sometimes I know like I've had in my head thinking, oh, can I even ask for forgiveness at this point? Right. Will they? But you'd be surprised at how... Such a small act, you just just saying, just coming out and saying, I'm sorry, I apologize, can you forgive me? And then, yeah, I didn't mean to do any of this, and we forgive you. Yeah. We all forgive you. I just love- Just instantaneous yeah. forgiveness. I love how it breaks from the action for this yeah. little moment. It's really, to really To kind nice. of wrap up that human element. You know, he was regretful when he realized- what happened and what the doctor did and what they unleashed and everything. And so it takes a break from this albino bruiser Frankenstein fight to have this human, this very human moment. Yeah, it's yeah. such a, that starts such a stark contrast, this little vignette, just like you said, in the middle of the everything. And for him to just, can you forgive me? I never meant to do any of this and all this stuff. And being, a, having like being sincerely regretful and apologetic yeah. and just to have that instantaneous response be, we forgive you. We all forgive you. Very intense. Back with Frankenstein and the albino. And then the Ogdrahem comes and it takes the albino and just kind of rips him all apart too. Again, we hear that voice run. Then you must be here for a reason. What reason could there be for any of this? All this madness, Frankenstein says. Or I was right before and I'm in hell. Again, we get that golden word bubble. You must not lose hope. Your life has meaning. You are so close now. Come to me. And he's like, oh, where am I going? You know, what am I supposed to do? And so he goes in there. I like that. that. I'm a monster drowning in a sea of monsters. Yeah. (laughs) That's such a, like... It's like an emo song lyric. (laughs) It's pretty good. And as Frankenstein enters this doorway that he's been led to, again, we see, like, she's kind of leading him in this direction. We get this amazing reveal by Ben Stenbeck. Colors by Dave Stewart. 
of the black goddess statue and she's over this fire pit and so that's where they've been burning all the prisoners and everything i love that that is so cool i don't think i ever noticed like really before that the black goddess has one foot out of the fire and so she's she can't stand the fire either she can only put one foot at a time oh that's interesting i like that i also want to point out the color of the fire because it's something that um Dave Stewart has been uh, having to work around the whole way through this because we, the fire is quite symbolic in this particular story. We've got two different kinds of fire. We've got the vril, the golden fire, and then we've got, you know, the fire that people are sacrificed in that's burnt for the black goddess. So uh, he's very careful with his colors to make sure that the fire, when it's to, um, associated with the black goddess, is like really orange, like it's taken on these blood hues, whereas the other one, it's very golden. Ah, I love that. Good job there, Mark. Uh, awesome. And so Frankenstein, he's like remembering, you know, what was all that stuff that the kid told me? You know, he's trying to remember, like, it's been so much, right? It has been a lot of uh, background story. Men loosed powers they could not control. The seven cities were destroyed. At the same time that he's remembering this, the Ogdrahem comes in and it throws him up against the Black Goddess statue. Or like this one sunken into the earth, hidden away forever. And Frankenstein's like, hidden. The boy said those people turned from the light, shut it away. Where? And so he looks at the black goddess statue and he punches it. And I don't know, maybe he's punching it in frustration. But he's like, once he breaks through, and here we're getting like a recap of all of the, everything that they were talking about. Even as Anum took fire out of heaven, daughter, I give that same fire to you to go forth and accomplish great things. And have no fear of the dark. And as he breaks the Black Goddess statue, we see the woman in the crystal, right? So right. the evil forces, they would not seek to command, but see, they could only hide the fire, not destroy it. This shell has been my protection, but it has kept me from the world all these years. And it is time for me to be in the world again, she says. It's for you to finish what you started. Set me free. So all this time, you know, this is the reason, right? right? As she was leading him and all this kind of imagery and for him to have this whole journey to go in there, it was to set her free, to break through the Black Goddess statue. And so he touches the crystal. This is the reason I'm here. And it explodes and it destroys the Ogdrahem. And again, we get that kind of golden light. And I just thought that this was amazing. I mean, it's just really incredible, this reveal that she was inside the Black Goddess right. statue the whole time. They had to build their evil idol around this. You right. know what I mean? And as the thing is exploding, I like how it's cutting back and forth between her and William and all the dead people. Now we're free. And we're left with Frankenstein. The dead people, they are at peace, she says. Then let me die. Wouldn't you rather live to see what's coming, she asks. You and I did this together, she responds. And so out of all this destruction, we see this one little leaf growing out of the ground. And then it kind of springs forth this, like, paradise. I, I love this, uh, the color palette as well, because it's all kind of, like, gray. And then it's just, like, kind of filled with all these, like, warm greens and eventually into this paradise. And so remember... When we read Witchfinder in the Service of Angels, and they talked about the people that were in that hollow, the Church of the Inner World, they talked about Shambhala. That was the paradise that was within the hidden earth. And so I feel like this is what's being created here. 
It's true that my body was much too old and frail to survive, but I am still here, inside of you and all around you. And Frankenstein says, alone. No, she responds, never again. And I just love this. I mean, so he's kind of left down there in this paradise to kind of be in that world. You know, he thought it was hell, but really it's kind of like a heaven and a refuge for him to be at peace finally. And he sees all the dimorphodons flying around. Just really cool. I just really love that. And we get this one little sad panel where we see Marchosius. He's like kind of looking into the mirror that the marquee broke. And he sees Frankenstein in that paradise. We cut back to Trionis. In the end, the Ogdrahem will come again, and the Ogdrahad will triumph over all. All the great works of man will be erased from the surface of the earth. If there is any future for man, it will be underground. Tefna Trionis, queen of Heliopolis, surrendered her crown in 1883 and retired to a small farm in Manitoba, Canada. There she lived quietly until her death in 1939. And Frankenstein Monster, to the best of my knowledge, lives still. Nice. We get this beautiful shot of the Shambhala Paradise. The end. So, this this, this last panel of uh, the Paradise inside the Hollow Earth, I yeah. guess, it kind of reminds me of um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where they go inside the asteroid. And they see that kind of paradise they created before Constell Genesis Device and Star Trek nerds are new while I'm talking about. <laughs> right on, no, that's cool. It's a beautiful panel. Yeah, so I well, love this. I, I I love this ending and and I love that um Frankenstein he finally gets for all his tortured nature throughout the whole thing, right. you know, he found purpose, he freed, you know, the secret fire, and um yeah, it's just a nice way to wrap this up. Well, the, the last panel is actually just golden light. Yeah. They dedicate that panel to just the light, yeah. and it just says the end. That's really beautiful. Man, we're in for a long conversation now. I've got so much to go through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's interesting to me is that you, you were saying, oh, he found purpose. And like there was something about this that kind of bothered me. It's a beautiful ending, and it's super cool story but there was something about this that i can't quite put my finger on that was bothering me it was he he was like oh this this is the reason that i'm here mm-hmm. but to me what i saw in this story wasn't someone waiting for someone to tell him his purpose what i saw was uh someone creating their own purpose and yeah. what i saw was someone making choices every step of the way making their own choices and these choices leading to this you know outcome and so uh i feel like it's a really great example of you know you are free to make these choices you have because you are alive and you know you do exist in this world with other people who are also making choices and so the choices you make are going to affect them and and all this stuff Mm -hmm. but so i i really do feel like he created his own purpose, and I think that that's very important to. He absolutely did. Yeah, for me, I it's mean, super important that he that he created he his own destiny and his own purpose, and it ended yeah, in like literal all paradise. The see him making choices to stay, yeah, and to do the right thing. Absolutely, exactly. I have to talk about the statue of Mary now. Yeah, yeah. When the statue of Mary is first introduced, 
and she's just like we we're introduced to this color which is associated with Vril. We're you know we're coming in from the blue snow and everything, and uh, comes into the church and she's just bathed in all these yellows representing right. you know the Vril and everything. But we quickly associate that with guilt, especially when we're looking at this black-eyed statue and everything. And we keep on getting panels where it's talking about guilt, you know, to reinforce that. And then later on, we get Frankenstein going into the Hollow Earth. And the voice that's echoing, you know, that he's hearing back these voices that are being fed back to him over and over again are the voices of guilt. And you'll notice that those panels are colored in orange. It's the same orange that is used to ring all the dialogue by the statue. You know, mm. Whenever she talks, she's got a ring of orange, the same color. So obviously she is rep- representing guilt. Now it's very important that she is imprisoned in this story. We see her in this crystal thing. She's, right. It's the guilt has literally imprisoned him but anyway the the moment of acceptance when he touches it and she's free and you know like that's he like he's setting it free it's like that's the release of the guilt yeah you know like that's the moment of change that's like i love that like this is reinforced through the color through the the dialogue like you know like um clem robbins and dave stewart are playing off each other here to do this stuff it's just like the level of detail in this story just blows my mind. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, you always come in with the good color theory uh, comments, Mark, and I'm really glad that you pointed that out. I'm I'm a big fan of that too. I love that. You also mentioned uh, you said um, the whole thing about about guilt and all that stuff. I I love that because you know recognizing that you can take responsibility for the thing, but then also accept redemption absolution whatever it is you know being able to accept redemption and accept responsibility and accept the fact that you are responsible for that like that's that's the journey like you i mean that's that's what it is and so that that panel where they they really focus on him touching it and and freeing it and all that stuff and how that leads to this paradise it's it's super intense and i think that yeah it didn't really come together i'm it's it's is it is interesting that you broke it up in these two because the first Two stories. I was just like, "What am I reading here?" And then, so the last three, obviously, it all it all came together in uh, in a really really nice way. And I'm I'm so glad that like you know when when I'm hearing you all talk about it, you kept on circling the topic of relationship to power because that's such a yeah. huge part of this story. Yeah. I mean, like what I love about this is they keep on circling it, not just you know saying that Vril is good and Shakti is bad, but, you know, which you get in other stories, but. It's also the choice. It's the choice of um, what the person does with it. Yes. I mean, so we have, um, you know, like the Watchers. They had the power of Frill. They didn't do good. They went off and created the Ogdrahim and allowed Shakti into the world. Yeah. And then at the, at the beginning of the story, we've got a witch who is able to hear the voices of the gods. We know that these gods that she's hearing the voices of is uh, the voices of, you know, like disembodied Ogdrahim spirits. Mm. Like these aren't gods. These are corrupting forces. But she doesn't use her power for selfish means. She doesn't do it to elevate herself. She uses it to help other people. She's using the voices that are corrupting to other people for good. Yeah. Wow. You know, like her choices are what save her from corruption. Uh, and so, like, this is what we still like see over and over again. We have the the people who were in the the hollow earth and everything. Like, they were literally made by the power of Shakti, and yet they were able to become good people. You know, like. No one is bound by their origins. Everyone is defined by their choices. And that comes up again and again and again throughout this story. I just, I love that. Each individual has the power to make those choices and those decisions and and can shape. I mean, you shape 
whole worlds every day with the power that you wield. It's just what are you going to do with it? And so your choices and your decisions, that's a big responsibility um, that, that each of us mm. have. And I think that that's... Um, John and I actually... Uh, there's another story that we read. It's called The Sword by the Lunar Brothers that deals a lot with like po- relationship to power and stuff like that. And that's really interesting about like choices and stuff like that. But um, the way that they explore it here, like you said, is through the Vril, which is really super interesting because I do think that that has huge parallels in our... Not only our daily life, but also in our, you know, humanity's history when you look at like huge sources of powers like, oh... I behold, I've become death destroyer of worlds, all that sort of thing. Like, this is a power that is has a lot of potential that I really can't put the genie back in the box kind of thing. It's super scary because what are we going to fucking do? There's so many people that have the power to make these various decisions. And so that's something that we all have to come together and fucking think about. And so in this story, the Vril Mm. represents this like ultimate power that, like you said, can be wielded in different ways, can be used in different ways. And supposedly this came from a bad source, but these people are doing a lot of good. And supposedly this should have been a good source, but over here you've got a lot of bad shit going on. So that's, like you said, individual choice super important and um i really really ended up appreciating the story a lot more than i thought i did which i I really enjoyed the 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 back half of this was really awesome yeah and i mean like it's a one shot and holy crap it's connected to everything yeah like seriously like you got the 1950s connection to the lobster johnson the luchador you got bprd the universal machine witchfinder ape sapien the drowning hellboy seed of destruction conqueror worm the island to vril to hyperborea to the heliotropic brotherhood of ra to rise of the black frame to hell on earth it's just like this is like the ultimate mythology building book and the thing is it's not the culmination of anything it's laying the groundwork for so much more. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. We'll have to talk. We'll definitely be coming back to this story as we dig into some of the other titles that we're going to be getting to. But yeah, I was really blown away by this book. I really enjoyed it. So I actually really enjoyed this story. I mean, it was like a, like a nice little kind of take on Frankenstein because when we saw the creature Frankenstein and I guess way back in Hellboy, Mexico, I didn't get the impression that it was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you know? And so everybody kept talking about Frankenstein as we're going along. You're like, oh, I can't wait to get to Frankenstein. I can't wait to get to Frankenstein. And we get here, and it's just like, oh, it is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's cool. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's all this exposition dump of all this <laughs> amazing hyperborean. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce it like that until i figure out how to pronounce it sure um <laughs> i didn't know how to pronounce it for a super I'm long time sure John came up with it. Like... yeah but i mean it, it's really kind of amazing but also i will say that i love the shots of uh, frankenstein's monster with the long hair at the end of the issue oh yeah old man logan well, frankenstein like, yeah i was like man he looks pretty pimping <laughs> john carter yeah. frankenstein it, it it makes you want to see yeah, like what like... what's going to happen now yeah. you know what is what 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 comes next? Is this it? You know, we it can't just leave us off here, right? I mean, there's just so much more to think about and explore with this character. Okay, well, oh, I mean, yeah. it also brings us the fact that, like, you know, mankind's fate is underground, and we've already been hit with Abe Sapien is the future of mankind and all that. So 
something seems like we're leading to somewhere to where the end is going to end up here. Mm, interesting, okay. Aubrey. That, that's what I'm thinking. Very cool. Even talking about the whole ending that leads you on, like we have these last two caption boxes explaining stuff, you know, saying, oh, Tefnut Trionis, um, you know, retired and everything, except this isn't an omniscient voice. This has a point of view because it says at the end, the Frankenstein monster, to the best of my knowledge, still lives. Who is this person? Right. It's raising this question right at the end deliberately to make you think about when this story is being told and who might be telling it. Yeah. I'm also very intrigued by the whole... that They make a point of this to say, I'm still here inside of you and all around you. And he's like, Al-, and he's like oh, I'm mm. alone. No, never again. Is that like, yeah. are we to suppose that that is a literal thing mm. taking place? Like, is that... I don't that's know. A great so question. That's, you know, so I love I love the path that you're. Just, I love the path that you and Aubrey are going down. Just thinking of the whole conversation yeah. we just had about power and relationship dynamics and relationship to power and all of this stuff, like, just really makes me think, like, holy fucking shit! Like, what's? I started this off being like, what is this? And then now I'm like, is that it? <laughs> that's it. So that was quite a journey. For me, I, I, I very yeah. much like, I like that though. I like when I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know about this. And then I end up being like, I want more of this right now. Yeah. So. Excellent. Yeah. Another thought I had while I was reading all of this was I need to go back and find all the history of the world yeah. stuff. Yeah. And read all, read all of it together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that might help plug in some of the holes if you read all of it, like stuff from the island stuff on this and stuff on everything else thankfully you've I mean, got mark here you can just ask him he'll literally tell you whatever it is you need to read you know mark send me a trade with some like uh post-it note yeah uh, I oh i'd here. love to be able to read everything with just mark standing behind me or like sitting next to me on the couch like oh by the way here okay so have mark, you finished mark, that page so let me tell you about this page like i would love that okay so mark stand behind me with a whip and tell me no wrong place to turn <laughs> i want i want like one of my Boys. favorite things to do is to go and just like re-watch or re-listen to commentary on movies and tv shows and stuff like that i would love to have mark just being the commentary for all right. of the shit that i read like that would be fantastic the, I, in a weird way i i've kind of got the own thing except it's mike mignola because like when i was like writing about this uh for the site i was like talking about all my theories and everything and um then I get like this email from Mike Mignola going, so I've been reading what you've been saying, and I think you'll really appreciate what, what I'm going to do with the ending of this entire universe. Would you like to know what it is? I'm like, no, no, don't Fucking tell me, don't shit. tell me. Wow. He's like, wow. He's like, I think you'll really appreciate it, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, like, Amazing. But, but you understand, like, his impulse to, do, to reach out and do this, he's like, oh, this person will... <laughs> Not only is he saying, like, oh, I know that you will appreciate this. He's dying to have yeah. anyone his, who his will appreciate like, this. If anyone <laughs> to, will get it, you will. He and wants I'm to like, fucking oh talk God, about this with somebody. Yes, he wants somebody to talk about. And he's he's like, well, this person gets it. Let me just fucking, please, let me talk about this. And you're just like, no. <laughs> wow. That That's is great. awesome. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, I was just like, no, no, please, no. <laughs> but anyway, I even have to talk about um, Tefnut Trionis again. Just because, like, we get three scenes with her throughout the story. And the very first time that we see her in this story, 
is um, from William's point of view, where he's like talking about like what it was like to meet her, and look at the way she's portrayed, like the heavy yeah. lids, uh, uh, like um, lidded eyes, all made up and everything. You know, she's this imperious looking character, and then every time we cut back to her, like the next time. Like, she's in this room talking to these men and telling them all this, like, you know, fancy stuff. But look at her face in she's that panel. She's a very like, normal see, she looks, person, yeah. She looks alone and haunted. Yeah. And then the last time we see her, she's still talking about this stuff. And she's alone and she's got darkness at her back. And you just, you get the sense of how lonely this poor woman is and like what a burden it is to know what she knows like there's no one in the room listening to her and she's still saying if there is any future for man it will be underground like there's a whole other story there and it's just told in a few scenes and it's just oh she can't help but be an oracle even if it's to no one yeah the crown is just Mm. to the discarded on she's got her back to it and it's just very yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the sketchbook here. We get some great work by Ben Stenbeck, and he talks about how um, when he first drew Frankenstein monster, he drew him kind of like Richard Corbin did. Mignola suggested he make him a little bit more lanky, and so that's how we kind of see him in this. We also get his sketches of what Oblifica's human form would look like. And all the great sea creatures, the Nautilus thing. I like how he just wrote Nautilus thing and all that kind of stuff. And all the dinosaurs. Great designs for the albino bruiser and all the other kind of soldiers that were down there. Um, They do talk about the Edgar Rice Burrell influence. And he thought that the albino bruiser would be a good character for that. And then Stenbeck was actually surprised that Mignola liked that character and actually drew him on the cover. I think that's cool. And then um, just like... Just like Danielle was saying, when Mignola really wants to emphasize something, he'll draw it himself. So we see Mignola kind of drawing (laughs) what the temple was going to look like and how that reveal of the Golden Palace was going to be. Stenbeck, you know, he did all these versions of the mass, but then Mignola came and he did his version, which, of course, is very reminiscent of the Twin Serpents image that we saw with Memnon Saw and in Iron Prometheus. That is fantastic that there's a whole page of just like, eh, this one? Eh? How about this one? Oh, here's another one. And it's just the next page just like this. This is the thing. Yeah, I love that. We also, and and I like this too, because like the ideas go back and forth, you know, Stenbeck draws the Ogdruhem, and then Mignola's like, I like that design, but I want to simplify it a little bit, so I'm going to do my version of it. And so they kind of like, Play like off taking each other. those elements and then refining and then I like when he says uh, that's cool. I always imagine the body to be more like a semi-transparent bloated bag of gas. Okay. <laughs> it's a little gruesome. But what really impressed me were these Mignola sketches of Frankenstein at the end. Oh, you yeah. know, um, we get one and, and and they're like discarded. Like, okay, so <laughs> uh, this is the this is the Emerald City Comic Con one. But then the one after it, like, we've never seen that cover. And he's like, oh, I thought it was okay, but it didn't have the impact that I'm looking for. Like, I think that this one is incredible. And then here's another discarded cover where he was going to fight, where he was going to show him fighting the albino bruiser. And then another attempt at issue four where Frankenstein's being electrocuted with that knife in his chest. But then on the very last one, he says... First attempt at an issue five cover. Not sure why I rejected this one. I abandoned it fully penciled and only inked it recently for fun. I actually like it better than the cover we used. (laughs) Oh, well. And this is incredible. It is so amazing. It's got the black goddess and the crystal. I cannot believe that, like, we don't have this actual cover on the thing. It is so amazing. 
I didn't realize that that was I didn't read that note before I turned this. I thought this was a uh, black and white sketch cover. Yeah, it should be. It should be a black and white sketch cover or something. I mean, I can't believe that it's in the back of the sketchbook section. I would love to see it as a print. Yeah. I would love to see it fully realized by Dave Stewart and available for all of us to buy and hang on our walls and stuff like that. It is so beautiful. I love how it's got like the crystal there and everything. Really amazing. It's really it's it's really incredible how much stuff Mignola just like uh, I don't know about this one. Well, and recently like... <laughs> they, there was a he posted something where he was like, "Oh, I just found this." Like he just will throw stuff on the floor or whatever. I don't know like, what he fucking does. He's like, I just found this. I was about to rip it up to use a scrap paper, and then I turned it over, and it was a complete sketch of whatever it was, like Hellboy or something. Yeah. And it's it like this incredible. Yes, it's an amazing yeah. drawing. And he's just like, yeah, I was just gonna rip this up for scrap paper, but I turned it over, and it's a drawing. So yeah, you know. Like, yes. I pulled this. I pulled this out of my drawer because it's a certain type of paper, and I was gonna <laughs> tear it in half. And I, on a whim, on a whim, yeah, it over. <laughs> it's an incredible drawing. Yeah, amazing. And then lastly, we get a great pinup by Ben Stenbeck. It says, "For fun." Yeah. I like that. That Stenbeck is just like, I just want to draw Frankenstein for fun. Uh, yeah, I love this. Nice, yeah, nice one. Which actually. That ties back to the original plan for this because it wasn't originally supposed to be a mini series. Ah, yeah. So uh, at one point it was supposed to be a longer story um, that would like have heaps of adventures, but I think it was one of those things where like as the um, goal kind of started to take shape, Mignola um, wanted to hurry to it. <laughs> yeah, so it ended up it becoming a lot shorter. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and just like Danielle said, it's like. That's it. That's the end. You know what? What's going to happen next? So yeah, what what started off as just something for fun ended up being something that really I think uh, I think we can all agree was uh, extremely impactful and um, you know just leaves us wanting more, which is a sign of any you know good comic or any good piece of art in general. Um, but what a great mm. discussion it was to have you back on the show, Mark. I'm so glad that you could come back and, and you really brought it today, man. You brought your A game. Hell so yeah. thank you for sticking <laughs> it out with us and, um, being on the, oh, yeah, on the you, line Mark. with us it's for so book. long. I mean, you know, like I'm actually really, really looking forward to hearing all the feedback we're going to get from this one because it's just, it's such a dense piece of work. It gives so much for people to respond to. It was, it was so funny because uh, we have like a Facebook thread where we can all talk to each other. And Mark, you were like, I'm trying to go to sleep, but I'm just thinking about <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> and I was like, Mark, you need yeah. to go to bed. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw that on my way to work. And I'm all like, I would love to go back to bed. <laughs> Can't sleep because I'm thinking about Frankenstein. Yeah, there you Amazing. Go. Nice. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's why you're the best, Mark. Oh, goddamn. I completely forgot to mention a major point. <laughs> okay, well, guy. so this is another thing. Um, you know how, like, uh, there was England, and then Hell on Earth happened, and uh, there was that fight on Vigrid Field, and Hellboy's blood was spilled, and it just basically drifted out of existence from the rest of the world yeah oh it became the new yeah, eden kind of right became like it's own it's the own fey realm in a weird way yeah so my theory is uh like because because in the hollow earth we have uh like these things like um uh when they've gone down into the hollow earth 
they'll pop up in like a completely random location. Like if you remember in BPRD Hollow Earth, oh, they go in yeah. one place, come at another place that's like miles and miles apart. Right. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense in terms of physical space. And like that's reinforced when we get to BPRD King of Fear, when Liz shows up in Thailand after like going down like in mm. Europe somewhere. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Like we've understood the Hollow Earth only as it's been explained by you know, Victorian people who didn't have a good grasp of what it was. Right. So we know that there were these uh, Hyperborean temple, uh, cities, sorry, that uh, some of them sunk into the earth. My theory is that when they sunk into the earth and the left-hand path was like, you know, building, like, you know, continued these cities underground, they basically created the equivalent of England where it was like, a detached realm it's like the thrice okay. nine kingdom and all that. okay you know, like, oh. it's basically a part of our reality that drifted away from the rest of it except it's still tethered to ours you can walk backwards and forwards in between it like its own fairy realm but it's you know like it's still like it's it's physical space doesn't make sense with our physical space the hollow earth isn't a literal hollow earth. yeah 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 entire other realm hell yeah that's what you were hell saying yeah. yeah that's what that's you were exactly saying. yes i completely 100 yeah. exactly. like, i felt like you were, you were tapping into that when you were talking about yep. it in the last episode and i'm like yep I, I i can tell you're on the same page there hell yeah that I is awesome okay. thank you awesome. so much for that awesome what a great way I'm to tie down it with up that. i'm down with that for sure yeah, so I just, love having you on here, yeah. man. We we miss you. It's so great <laughs> having you. We really you do miss you, Mark. And uh, thank you so much for wrapping it up with that and for spending so much time with us. And like you said, I can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback on this episode. And and it's just great chatting with you too. Like I just miss you. It's yeah. nice to hang out with you and just hang out with you and talk about yeah. the comic books and friendship what was the tangent that we started going off earlier oh, it was just man. like hearing hear the voices that you hear when you read hey, we just need to have yeah. a we just need to have a, a podcast where we just talk to you about random stuff mark like that <laughs> we, can, oh, we yeah. call it we can call it voices in your head there you go sure there you go <laughs> all right so great and so with all that being said now aubrey's gonna say all the things oh, that, that means <laughs> there it's we over. go oh. <laughs> It's never oh. over. <laughs> Nothing ever ends. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right, everybody. Frankenstein Underground. What an amazing comic. I want you to share your thoughts with us by sending us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gardahan for the wonderful theme music. Thank you so much. And always a thank you to Mark Tweedell for being on the episodes when he can and telling us all this wonderful insight. Thank you, Mark, for being on the episode. We missed you. No worries. And a thank you to uh, John for being the editing wizard magician that he is. It's true. You guys heard last. You guys heard last week's Alchemy episode. You know what he has to deal with now. <laughs> not even, not oh that's like God, a yeah. scratching uh. the surface of it. So thank you, John. And thank you, listeners, for listening to us. That's what makes it a book club. Yeah. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcast from. And next week, we are reading Kashi the Deathless, issues one through three. So you know what to do. 
Go raise that corpse. He'll have the back issues that you need to read. Do a scratch off with him or something. But uh, you'll have, definitely have your omnibuses and your digitals. So join us next week. Did you tell people to raise a, a corpse from the dead and play a scratch off <laughs> with them? Because that's that's pretty punk rock. They know what they're doing. I dig it. <laughs> join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Frankenstein underground. <laughs> I'm Danielle. I'm Mark. And I'm one of the saying, no, my friend, science. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes.